Hello, and welcome to TP's Music Talk Podcast. My name is Ryan Ford. And I'm Nick Replinger. And you can find us at our website, tpmusictalkpod.wordpress.com. And you can also find us at anchor.fm forward slash tpmusictalkpodcast and other major podcasting platforms by searching for TP's Music Talk Podcast. You can find us on other social media as well, like Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Tumblr, and others by searching for TP Music Talk Podcast or for TP Music Talk Pod on Twitter. Just look for our logo. And you can also email us at tpmusictalkpodcast at gmail.com. We also have shared playlists on Apple Music and Spotify that you can check out by searching TP's Music Talk Podcast as well. And don't forget to click the link in the description and leave us a voice message on Anchor. And feel free to leave us a message or a review anywhere you're listening. It really helps us out. And don't forget, donations are always appreciated. You can find a link to donate in the description of any of our episodes. No part of our show can be reproduced without permission or written consent. Hey Ryan, what are you doing this weekend? Yeah, man. I'm hanging out with McKay. We're going to take a look at his latest engravings and talk about giveaways for I Engrave stuff. Oh yeah, that's awesome. Especially about those giveaways. And you know, I was on the internet the other day and I saw these ads for these other engraving services. And man, their prices are expensive. Yeah, man. A lot of those other engraving companies will charge you up the wazoo for things. But I've noticed that McKay's company, they have items that are priced very reasonably, making it affordable, especially this year, to get a personalized and really impactful gift. Get your parents something that is heartfelt with your signature, or you can even do a letter in your own handwriting on something. Oh yeah, that's right. And you can even send a scan of your handwriting on a letter, and they can engrave it onto a sign, a bottle, or whatever you can think of. The possibilities are endless with them. Yeah, and right now, if you're in the checkout area, you can type in TP10 in all caps in the promo code box, and you'll get an extra 10% off. A gift from us. Go to iengravestuff.com today. Hey everybody, welcome back to Transmitter. I'm Ryan. And I'm Nick. And today we have a very special guest who, uh, well, we'll introduce him in just a minute. I just wanted to get a couple things out of the way first. Um, Wanted to go over a little bit of housekeeping. Just wanted to let you guys know and just say thank you for bearing with us. I know it's been a slow schedule thus far this year with getting the episodes out. I feel like it's been a very productive year for us. Um, We've already done a whole lot. We, you know, we've got this new studio sort of up and running and and I, I say studio, we've got a little bit of soundproofing, <laughs> but, but we're getting there and, and we've got some new plugins and some new, you know, tools to play with. And I just feel like we're getting better and better all the time. And last year we, we didn't start the podcast until like the middle of the year last year. And I feel like we've already gotten a few episodes out this year. I, I feel like we're really starting to pump on all cylinders again. So anyway, thanks for bearing with us and uh, feel free to leave us some more voice messages And yeah, feel free to just reach out to us in any way on any of our social medias. We really appreciate that. And we want to hear what you have to say, good or bad. So Yeah, and I'd also like to add to that, when you reach out to us, Ryan and I, we're thinking we're going to come to a close to this, I guess you could call a season. And we want to change gears a little bit, maybe talk about something else, whether that be hip hop or classical music or something. But if there's a topic that you would like us to speak about in the future, please reach out to us. We want to know what you guys want to hear. So please reach out to us, whether it's email or an anchor or any of the other platforms that you listen to us on. We value your guys' input. 
Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. So yeah, and I'll, I'll let Nick introduce our guest. All right. So today we have a great visitor here today. His name is John Castler. And if you recognize the last name Castler, that is because he is also our good friend, Joe Castler's um, younger brother. Say hi, John. Hello. Yeah. So John, um, he is a very avid photographer and cinematographer, and he's also happens to be the official photographer and cinematographer for Blix 10. So I've worked a lot with John personally with, with all that stuff. And also we've been roommates before too. So I know John pretty well and mm -hmm. you know, he's a great guy. And he's got all these great things that you can check out on YouTube. He has his own YouTube channel. Um, one of them's called Construction Rocks. I don't know if you still, do you still do that one? Yeah, I mean, um, I still have it on my YouTube channel, but I haven't recently been making uh, new episodes. So, but you can enjoy the old stuff. And yeah. if you really want me to do it, well, I'll do it. <laughs> oh yeah, you gotta really twist his arm on that one. But no, John is quite the handyman. Even um, a couple of years ago, I even helped him, you know, put on the, the shingles on his roof. I helped him re-roof their entire house. Oh yeah, that was fun. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I got paid for it, so I was fine with that. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I got to do it for free. So. Yeah, but but yeah. So John's got all these different things. Um, do you have any other things that that you're working on right now that you want to tell us about, John? Just about your background as a photographer and cinematographer. Or? Okay, I guess as far as what I'm doing right now, right now I'm trying to get myself more out there because. So far, like Nick has been saying, I've been working with Blix 10. But uh, recently, I've been working with, um, I'm pretty sure you remember from a previous episode with uh, Private School Boys, that they're uh, band photos. And I've been uh, trying to get more out there, I guess you can say. And uh, so I'm thinking of uh, a name for my media studio and thinking of doing a website and, um, you know, to help people get great videos and great uh, photos. So that's what I'm thinking right now. So you wanted to know the background of where, why I like doing media and everything, right? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, I guess we'll go back from the, to the beginning. I was actually about five years old. This was in 2002. Uh, it was in February 2002. My family and I, we went on a train to California to see some relatives of ours. And um, I think it was either my mom or my dad. Uh, he handed, uh, they handed me uh, one of those disposable film cameras, if you remember that. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, here, take some pictures. And so I specifically remember taking these photos on this train, you know. I took pictures of my brother Joe, I took pictures of my parents, I took pictures of seats in front of me and my foot. That kind of stuff. <laughs> you gotta so, have a random foot picture on that you know, disposable camera. So. Oh, yeah. And uh, I ran out of film in the first 15 minutes, but, you know, that's five-year-old <laughs> me. Uh, strangely enough, however, I didn't get back into taking photographs until I was about 11 years old, actually. Uh, when I was 11 years old, about that time, my family got a digital compact camera, and they assigned me to be the photographer of the family whenever we go on family trips or whenever there's something exciting going on they would say you're the camera guy so you take the pictures and I can definitely testify of that you know John has shown me all these just random things like there's even this really cool video I think it's on YouTube where when he was living in Texas and he just went and made this really cool shooting video with him and his friend and they're just shooting all these different kind of, <laughs> kinds of guns and it's yeah. it's so 
epic. Even Ooh. though they're just shooting guns <laughs> in the middle of nowhere, Texas. It's this little, mm. like, epic little video that you can watch. Shout out to my friend Peter Williams. I love you, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, we were good buddies, and we were like, you know, you got guns, I got the camera, let's shoot. But anyway, back to uh, <laughs> my childhood. Um, so I took lots of pictures for my family, went to California, went to South Dakota, all these places in the U.S. We even went to Australia, and I took pictures there. So it was a lot of fun. So when I graduated high school, that's when I retired from being the family photographer, you know, since I'm going to be on my own into college and all that stuff. But during that time in which I was taking pictures for my family, I tried, as the years went on, to try to make more beautiful pictures to really capture the moment in just one frame, you know. If you remember those low compact digital cameras, they're like the size of a wallet. And so there's only so much that you can do with that camera. It wasn't until uh, around 2017 when I was in college that, you know, I decided to get my own DSLR camera or if you don't know what that is, it's basically those fancy cameras where you can adjust lens and replace lenses to get better pictures. So I got my first one in 2017, and ever since then, I've been watching online tutorials, I've been reading tons of books, and I've been uh, practicing over and over again with this camera, you know. I've been practicing with my camera and I got a better camera later on. And I've been perfecting my camera skills, and that's where I am today with photography at least. When it comes to video production and video editing, that's a different story. Actually, believe it or not, my older brother, Joe, he did lots of uh, small video projects for his Boy Scout troop and for uh, high school. He even made like a- <laughs> I've seen those, yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he made like a video for his Spanish class. That's my favorite one. <laughs> <laughs> and so it had like lightsabers and all these special effects on it. And um, you know, me not knowing how it all worked, I was just fascinated with the process I would watch him do the editings you know chop up put this here make it you know sound better over there and I was um, really excited whenever he would get done and I would see the final product later on I did something strange I took the family digital camera and I took the family digital camera and I would do these strange destruction videos where I would hit something and look back at it frame by frame to see the destruction unfolding I was pretty weird back then well, <laughs> well just to get a little background you know, like, John is all about you know construction and explosions I, I remember one time John when I was still you know rooming with John and Joe at their house their mom came to visit and she took us out to dinner I remember we were just driving in the car and then all of a sudden John John just starts laughing and and of course you know John and Joe's mom starts like John what are you laughing at and it's just like explosions <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was really into Mythbusters too so that added on to it so yeah. uh. <laughs> and, and, and while I didn't really like grow up with you or, or you know I mean you and I have known each other for a while now but we haven't really like hung out or anything I, I don't know too many of these stories and I, I haven't seen like all these videos or anything but what I have seen and, and what I can definitely attest to is like how you've kind of perfected your I mean you're you're always evolving right but I am always blown away by the pictures that I see that you've taken and and video they're just stunning and I think that there's nobody better that we could have on the show today to kind of talk about all of this and and how it relates to music videos and and music in general yeah. so yeah. yeah and that kind of leads into what our what the next question we want to ask you is like what music did you grow up with and what are your musical tastes Okay, yeah. Let's see. I guess I didn't finish, though, about how I got into video production. You've heard it a million times, but that's because it's worth it. I engrave stuff. Need something engraved? I engrave stuff. 
Need some gifts for holidays and birthdays that are actually cool and can be totally personalized to your liking? I engrave stuff. Check out their social medias. I see an Instagram giveaway very often, and they're actually legit. Connect by going to iengravestuff.com. Another thing they have is an engraving service. If you have a thermos or a bottle or a baseball glove or anything you can think of, all you have to do is get in touch with the awfully friendly people from iengravestuff.com, and one of their laser experts can get an estimate to you. It's super simple, and they work hard to make it easy to explore your engraving ideas. And if you go to iengravestuff.com and you're shopping, be sure to type in TP10 in all caps in the promo code box at checkout. That'll get you 10% off. Check out iengravestuff today. Uh, anyway, so I would observe Joe with his video productions, and I would just be like, wow, this is so cool. And so I... Um, when I was about um, my junior year in high school, I created my first video project actually mm -hmm. for my English class. For the project, we had to do something to portray the theme of the book that we were reading. I personally read the book Between a Rock and a Hard Place. If you don't know, it's also called 127 Hours. The movie's based off of it. So anyway. Is that the one with James Franco? Yeah, and that's okay. the one. Yeah. And so in the middle of the night, I made these props. I made a rock. I made canyon walls. And I just took that little compact digital camera and I would literally duct tape it to like the canyon wall that I created just to get the aerial shots. And I would also put on the rock and all these crazy angles and stuff like that so it was really fun and then later on when i went into college i uh, created these fun videos you know just the, for the heck of it i made a video with joe for halloween because we were oh bored i made a i made a office parody uh, go check that one out that one is seriously so good yeah, and it's, it's gotten so many views i think it's like it, it's like forty thousand views now. yeah so. And like in that type of genre, because it had to do with A Quiet Place and The Office. And so when that A Quiet Place first came out, you know, there was a whole bunch of these movies that were kind of mixed that in. And like John's, I think, is the second most viewed on there. <laughs> I think the only one that's got higher views is from the, you know, the actual, you know, NBC channel so <laughs> yeah i love that one i i laughed so hard the first time i watched that yeah that was a really fun to do it literally took me an entire day to do that so yeah that was a lot of fun so then blix 10 came along and uh, i was just sitting on the couch while joe and his bandmates nick was there actually were practicing for the first concert and i was like you know what i should just record the entire concert you know to help them out and so i just took one of those digital compact cameras this was before i had the ds DSLR actually and I just practiced shooting them while they were practicing and then Joe rented a DSLR at BYU and I got to shoot with that and it was really fun really um you know, it kind of changed uh, the way that I viewed photography and cinematography. It was kind of like the first click in which I really started to accelerate with uh, learning about how photos were made, how to make beautiful videos. So yeah, I got to thank Blix10 for really getting me on that path. And oh, well, and we've loved having you be our cinematographer. I mean, everything that John does, it's top notch. It's like, we don't even need to go to a professional because we already got a professional on our side. Well, yeah. thank you. Like my personal favorite is the music video for It Hurts by Blix10. That one is just a beautiful, like you get so many different seasons and, and just different scenes. And it's just kind of a lyric video. I, I definitely recommend checking it out. Um, yeah. 
And as the, the writer of that song, you know, I was very happy with how it turned out. I couldn't be more pleased with it. No, oh, thank you. Yeah, that was a fun one to make. And, and and maybe one more thing, you know, at least one more thing that we can talk about is the the photo contest that you've been a part of. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, like you, you uh, <laughs> helped shoot videos for the Faith Matters organization. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, I did. And then I, I think you even submitted some photos for like the local news, yeah, um, so, something like that. And those were those were beautiful. So. Oh yeah, everybody had those. Uh, everybody submitted beautiful pictures, and I thought you know might as well submit mine. You know. Yeah. And it definitely blended in with everybody else's pictures. They were all very beautiful. But I know how mine were taken. Yeah, well, don't be so modest. I, I, I personally love them. Did, did you actually win that one? Or I never heard anything back. So, uh, well, I voted for you. So, so did I. But yeah. Yeah, well, appreciate it, guys. <laughs> All right, got any questions? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I guess we've kind of talked about your background and upbringing, but but we didn't really talk too much. And I, I think Nick sort of asked you, what kind of music did you grow up with? And, mm. and you know, how does all this connect to music for you? And mm. you know, I. I want to hear about that. Okay. Music taste. For pretty much all of my life, I've grown up listening to oldie music. So music from the 60s, the 70s, a little bit of the 80s. I had that as childhood music because my parents grew up during that era. And so I would listen to these rock bands and really jam out. I remember really liking Hotel California as one of my favorite songs back then. Oh, that's got to be one of the best songs ever. (laughs) Yeah. And so funny enough, though, when I was about 10 years old, roughly, My mother wanted me to uh, take drum lessons, actually, and I agreed. And so for the longest time, I actually took rock and roll drum lessons from the Dave Wilbur's Rock Lab in Orem. So, yeah, I got to go check him out. Um, So that's where I learned drum skills, and it's really helped me to really connect better with music because... Uh, when you're a drummer, you have to know the beat and when to come in with the crashes and the toms. And so it really uh, helped me appreciate music better. Still during this time, I was more into rock. And so it wasn't until my when I was about a teenager that I got into heavy metal, actually. And oh, so, okay, okay. Uh, one of my favorite bands is actually Breaking Benjamin. Uh, Love them. They're my second all-time favorite. Yeah. yeah well, and, and they're very popular just in general, I think. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and also, you know, we went and saw them live. Yeah, you know, that was the oh, first time. Here. That was the first time I saw him live, and it was awesome. Yeah, it was incredible. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. And so really got into heavy metal, um, you know, listened to Joe's music now and then. Some of them I didn't like, some of them I really liked, like Metallica. Thinking some other ones. Oh yeah, Avenged Sevenfold. Those types of bands. Oh, yeah, that was like Joe's number and, one uh, in high school. Of course, got to yeah. mention Three Days Grace. Yes, <laughs> yes, my all-time favorite. Yeah. So that was definitely the uh, teenager era of music was heavy metal. In more recent years, I've uh, come to appreciate soundtrack music a lot. Yeah, I love soundtrack uh, yeah. music too. Uh, when I listen to soundtrack music, I'm just blown away by the or- orchestra and by how the symphonies just really go together. You know, you can imagine. The scene without even seeing it on screen, you know. Yeah. And so. Yeah, we want to talk about soundtracks at some point and and go into that. Yeah, uh, definitely yeah, got to do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so gone into soundtracks. I've uh, actually gone into like old style country music a little bit. Oh. I'm gonna have to shun you there. Ah, <laughs> old style. Well, it's not all. It, it's not like the modern country music where it goes roll down, we're down and cruise. And, <laughs> I don't know. With the old timey one, it kind of sounds more authentic. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah, I, mean, like, I understand that. But for me personally, it's just <laughs> the the deep twangy voice. You know, that is what yeah. 
gets me that I, yeah. just, I can't listen to it that, that's the one genre that we haven't really breached on this show yet yeah, you gotta be brave you gotta be brave yeah gotta... exactly exactly <laughs> we're, we's trying to decide like, well, when a... are we gonna tackle that because well I'm not saying that we're not going to talk about it but that doesn't mean I'd have to like it though yeah well and I just don't feel like either of us are very prepared to talk about it because we don't know the history too well but maybe down the road and if it's something you guys want yeah just like I said when I say country music it's like a very small list of country music all right it's not like a whole list well, so. good because i was about to judge you <laughs> i judged you a long time ago mm. John, so. mm, how about that well uh, along with country music there's some modern music that you know is really catchy and i like but really kind of the music that i've never really gone into is like death metal scream you know i can't hear what they're saying it's just <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, you got it right there, John. <laughs> <laughs> it's an art in itself. I mean, it's, you know, to, to each his own, I suppose. Yeah. But uh, if I don't understand the lyrics, I'm like, okay, bye. And, and a lot of people are like that. You know, I, I mean, uh, I, feel I mean, like, like I love, you know, the heavy distorted guitars and the bass and the drums from those type of, I'm kind of like you, I don't really care much for screaming like the most screamo. I like is probably about as much as Breaking Benjamin does, you know, yeah. where they scream just here and there. I like that, but yeah. when it's pure screamo, I don't care too much for it. Yeah, same here. It's to, like To me, they have to have talent. You know, if, if they're not good at screaming, mm, it doesn't really do it for me. But Yeah, and I'm sorry to say this, Ryan, but I'm not a big rap person, so... Ah, that's okay. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's not for everybody, for sure. I mean, that's why we talk about music and why we try and um, diversify what we talk about. So. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, yeah, pretty much a lot of music I like, except for those few that I talked about. So Yeah. Well, and then we did want to talk, I mean, before we kind of get into the meat and the potatoes of this episode, I wanted to talk a little bit about media technology, it just very, very briefly, and how film evolved. Maybe just kind of like a nutshell of media technology so that people can understand as we get into the history of these music videos. Okay, okay, I got you. So I'll talk about it very very briefly yeah but nutshell, like very very peanuts <laughs> so yeah media technology in order for you guys to understand why they made the music videos the way they did you have to understand the media technology behind each era era <laughs> era. 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 era era years so in order for you to understand why they made music videos the way they did at a particular time you have to understand the technology back then so i want to start out briefly by talking about the mother of all media technology which is film film has been around the longest it's been invented since 1826 and it became used for video production in around 1890s 1826 that's when you were born right nick <laughs> That's when your mother was born. <laughs> Whoa, she's been on this show. How dare Whoa. you? Whoa. So is my father, so. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah. There's two types of film. There's negative film and there's positive film. Negative film, well, I guess before I talk about that, film is essentially this plastic strip that contains chemicals that are sensitive to light. That's essentially it. So for negative film, it's essentially when you take a picture or when you take a video, it captures the image and it creates an inverse of what the scene actually looks like. So whatever is light is dark, whatever is red is green, etc. And that was just mainly for prints. And you can't really show that on screen. That looked too weird. 
unless if you wanted to. <laughs> but uh, the other type of film, which has mostly been used for video production, is something called positives. Positives, essentially, the chemicals are right, and so that when light hits it, whatever the camera captures is what you're going to get at the end of it. So uh, you can project that onto the wall. They've actually made slide projector pictures with the same type of film. It's essentially the same thing. Uh, the mechanics of it are fairly simple. Uh, essentially, the film runs through these mechanical gears and light shines through a particular frame or a picture and it projects on screen and then the next picture comes and then the lights hit that and goes and so on and so forth. And when you do it fast enough, it creates the illusion of movement. Which yeah. is where video comes in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so here's kind of a video I actually took at uh, the BYU Broadcasting Building. That's actually a 1900 video projector right there. And wow. so it's big. The and, film... and, and we'll link these uh, photos and, and videos. Everything that we're talking about today, and, and, and sorry, I don't mean to derail you, John, mm -hmm. but everything that we're talking about today, this will be kind of a different episode because we're going to leave links in the description. We're going to post photos. There's going to be photos on, on Facebook and Instagram and all social media kind of just showcasing this and everything that John's talking about today. So, so, and you'll just be pausing it if you want to go along as you listen to us. So this is the projector kind of interesting though. This is very technical, but essentially you have to actually show the picture twice before the next frame goes on. So that's why there's an open slot and then a closed slot and then an open slot so that a picture will show here and then the same picture will show here and then the next picture will come and then the next picture will show there and it goes on. Because if you do it just one at a time, it's too fast for the eye to see. It looks weird. Mm. Uh, but that's a very technical thing. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, kind of the technical thing with film, black and white, it's essentially silver halide that changes color. With color film, it's different layers of color-sensitive chemicals that are mixed in with silver compounds. And so each layer it reacts to a different color. And when you merge it all together, it creates a color print or a color-projecting image. And color film has definitely been a very difficult thing to create, and we may talk about it later, but uh, let me talk about the advantages and disadvantages. The advantages is when you do the chemical process right, when um, you do everything right, the images are astounding. So why do you think film has been around for so long? It's still present even today, and it's mainly because film has this beautiful look to it that was hard to compete with until digital technology came along. And so you have different options for different colors. Well, and a lot of the digital stuff, I feel like uh, these days, they're actually trying to go back and copy film, uh, yeah. which is kind of interesting. And anyway, I, I didn't want to get too <laughs> much into the and, and I know that you could talk about that just yeah. all night, all night. And I, I didn't yeah. mean to totally derail everything. But, nah. um, you know, I just feel like people should kind of know what film is all about. And, and you know, because a lot of these people are here for music. But in order to understand music videos, you have to know a little bit about photography and film so yeah essentially with film it's a very difficult chemical process it's a tedious work you have to get the chemicals just right in order to get the images just right mm -hmm. and if you messed up it looks crappy that's essentially it also you cannot record audio on a strip of film because. What? <laughs> what? And so you have to record audio separate from film. So that was a little bit of a disadvantage because you had to take the, in the extra time to sync up the images with the sound and you had to be very skilled essentially to be a video editor back in the day. 
And, and yeah, so you're speaking just, you know, when film was around before, yeah, this is, before yeah, you could. You yeah, know. this was film. Yeah. We're yeah. talking about film. <laughs> and so, yeah, it required very skilled people to do it. Also, if you messed up on a take, you had to throw away the film strip and do it all over again. So you would always rehearse it a lot beforehand just to make sure that you got the right shot so you didn't waste money and materials and all that. Exactly. It's like, why do you think the actors back then were so well known? Because they were really good at doing it at the first take. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing to consider with film. And so, yeah, it's also pretty expensive. Like uh, Nick was saying, it's film is pretty expensive. But the outcome of film is just breathtaking when you do it right. And so that's why it's still kind of around today, actually. It's because people appreciate that authentic look of film. And uh, the image and the quality of the image is just breathtaking. Yeah, and then I guess that can kind of take us into our next section is we want to talk about, or have you, you know, talk to us and explain, you know, about the different eras of music videos and how that kind of came to be. Yeah, and maybe we can still kind of compare and contrast and explain a little bit of the media technology as we go as well, so. Okay, so... I guess we'll take a break from media technology and uh, dive into the music history, essentially. <laughs> yep. Alrighty. Well, good thing we talked about film because that's the first thing that comes up. So. Good, good. So, in the ancient times of the Greeks, you had to listen to music only by being present. Okay, I messed up. <laughs> take that out. Okay, essentially, back in the ancient times, the only way that you can listen to music is if you were in present in front of a musician. Yeah. That was the only way you can listen to music. No way to record. Yeah. yeah. And So if the musician was ugly, you are pretty much out of luck then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the musician also had to be pretty good. And so for thousands and thousands of years, humans have associated music with being in the presence of a person, I guess you can say. So there has to be a visual image with uh, music, if that makes sense. Then along came the 1800s, Sir Isaac Newton. Who's that? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so bad at this. Okay, Edison. Edison created the phonograph. <laughs> if you remember my brother's episode, in which if you haven't listened to that, go back and watch it or listen to it, all right? It's, it's honestly a really great episode. Is, yeah. <laughs> okay. So like my brother talked about, Edison in the 1870s created the phonograph in which it was the first time that you can record a person or music being played. And then as time went on, you can play that wax cylinder back and listen to that same music. So it was the first time that you can listen to music without being in the presence of a person or a band. Which, if you go back and listen to Joe's episode, we talk all about those wax cylinders and, and how they were able to record music back during that time period. Yeah. Just a little insight, I mm -hmm. guess. Also, around this time, there was something called the Magic Lantern. And for those that have seen the cartoon movie called Tarzan, it's that scene where you see that projector-looking thing and they show images mm -hmm. on the tent. Right, the little slides that they stick yeah. in. And, mm -hmm. and it's like, I want to know. Exactly. Phil Collins, I mean... <laughs> he didn't exist by then, but... Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's essentially Magic Lanterns was just uh, a light projector, and they can project images. And I'm about to show these guys, actually, 
the beautiful images that you can have with magic lanterns. Yeah, and, and again, let me just explain before we go into this. So uh, again, we're gonna be including all of the links to these videos, these photos, and, and we're gonna try and organize them in a way that's kind of chronological and, and is easy to understand with what we're talking about. So if, if you're in our podcast uh, on our website, you can actually look at the description and follow the link to watch this video. Uh, we're gonna name it Magic Lantern. Now, I, I think, you know, it's it's important that, you know, we're going to be we're going to try and be as descriptive as possible about these videos and really explain what's going on just in case, you know, you aren't able to watch them at this time. We still want this episode to be entertaining for you. And so we're going to do our best to be as, as descriptive as possible and, and still be informative. So. So, yeah, if you notice, like with the Magic Lanterns, just the quality of the image that you can portray on there. And they were just hand painted on glass plates. And um, for the longest time, it entertained people. But it was around the 1800s that they decided, you know what, we should play music with these Magic Lantern slides and to create a story with it. And so around this time in the 1800s, they did the first story slide projection called The Little Lost Child in 1894. And it featured an orchestra playing it in a big theater and a narrator explaining the story. And it was very entertaining. So this was kind of the first step to cinematography or kind of the first step towards a music video, I guess you can say, was at this point. All right, now let's progress back into Edison. Let's go back to Edison, actually. Well, and, and if it's okay, I'd just like to say really quick that, okay. I mean, j just kind of give my reaction, I guess. I thought that was really interesting. And the thing that I liked about it was the fact that they were taking these slides and showing them to audiences and it like telling a story, like there was a narrator or there was a orchestra playing. Like, you know, I knew about Magic Lanterns and I knew that they, you know, you could show pictures through them, but I didn't know that you could you know, I, I guess I didn't put two to two to two and two together about people actually playing music with it or telling a story with it. I thought it was more just for a slideshow presentation or something, not anything uh, in depth. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of a wow. Um, it was actually invented, like the video said, in the 1600s, but it wasn't until the 1800s that they decided, you know, let's make a story out of these slides. You know, let's tell a story. Let's have drama in there with music make the audience engage with these characters. Yeah, it's kind of so like cool. laying the foundation for what will later become, you know, going to the cinema, you know, the movie theaters. And yeah, exactly. Like it's kind of the foundation for cinema and cinema is the foundation for music videos. And we'll talk about that later. So back to Edison, he and this buddy named William Dickinson tried to create the first video projection with audio, pre-recorded audio, because before then it had never been done before. And so what they did was they shot like 10 second clips of a person doing something and record at the same time on a phonograph. And they would try to sync up the sound on the phonograph with the projected images on the film. Now it turns out that the frame rate of the film and the, the recording speed of the phonograph didn't actually match up too well. And that's just because of mechanical error. You know, back Makes then. Sense. That'd be pretty hard to get right, I feel like, with yeah. the technology that they had at the time. <laughs> yes, because back then you actually had the hand crank the uh, film camera. Yeah, so it's not just relying on technology to put it all together seamlessly, but you had to, you know, do it all by hand. So, exactly. so if you weren't cranking at the right speed, <laughs> yeah, like, it's you, you were out of the job. It's like, you're fired, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty tough. It was really experimental with the film back then. But, you know, they were they had the guts to just try it, you know. 
and just put it out there. And so they would take these short clip films and show it on a little box and they would show the images in this little box and they would have sound over here. And the person, they were hoping that the person would be entertained. They were kind of thinking of it as like a circus festival sort of thing. They, okay. weren't, they weren't thinking of it as like a cinema production, but more of like a circus means of entertainment. So here's a video of the only existing, the only existing film that they tried. So if you notice on the video, uh, there's this violinist that's playing really close to this big horn. And that was uh, for the purpose of recording onto the phonograph because back then it wasn't very sensitive. And so the musician had to be really close in order to pick up sound. And for some reason there's two guys dancing, but we don't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like my reaction to it, you know, it's, it's black and white. It's very grainy. It definitely looks a little off kilter in a way. And uh, yeah, you, there's a huge horn. The violinist is like two feet away from it, if that. And he's playing into this horn to try and get that sound to, you know, be captured and, and be of good quality. So yeah, I definitely recommend you check that one out. It's it's something you don't see every day. Oh no, yeah. you gotta see it to believe it. Alright, now we're getting into the 1900s. So film technology is getting better, as well as sound technology. And so around this time in the early 1900s, they had something called silent films. The films like Charlie Chaplin or, you know, just anything that's silent because back then they couldn't figure out how to synchronize the sound, you know, like we've talked about before. They couldn't figure out how to synchronize the sound with the images that are being portrayed. And so they just said, you know what, we can still make it work. It's got to be silent, but, you know, we can still entertain people with these videos that we're creating. And, uh, but what they did have was they did have bands and musicians play in the theater while the silent film was going on. And that's how people can listen to music during these silent films. So almost like back to the Magic Lantern a little bit where, you know, you had orchestras and people playing while they were showing the slides. Just now the slides are a little better. It's actually a motion picture in a way. Yeah, exactly. And that kind of tells you something about the power of music, you know. It's like... People are more entertained by a motion picture if there's sound to it, even if it's music. So, well, music does make everything better. What can I say? <laughs> it makes you move too. So. <laughs> yeah. So, for little tents, they would have just a pianist, or for big theaters, they would have a full-on orchestra just play down. You know, have you seen theaters like where the band's just down there, ground yeah, level, down in the orchestra oh, yes. pit and everything? Yeah, yeah exactly. Sure. So it wasn't until the 1920s that they figured out how to synchronize music and sounds with the video, and. Um, in the very early 20s, it was very small. It's like you had to be in a very small room because the sound wasn't amplified enough for a big audience to hear. Right, right. But um, what it involved was having the film camera be hooked up to the same motor as the recording device. That way, when the motor turns, the camera is running at the same speed as the sound was recording at the time. Right, right. That, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And so it wasn't until in the late 1920s that they uh, that Warner Brothers did the very first full feature-length film using uh, synchronized sound. And the very first movie was uh, The Jazz Singer in 1926. And from there on out, from 1926 to 1929, all these uh, video companies in Hollywood decided to create sound films. Like the percentage of sound films was from zero to 75 percent. Basically, <laughs> <By> overnight. <laughs> uh, from 1926 to 1929, sound films rose up to 75 percent. 
So yeah, all because of Warner Brothers. Yeah, Warner mm. Brothers took the gamble and decided to make a full feature-length sound film. Well, and that, that's they so clever. The jackpot, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and it's so clever that they hooked it up to. They essentially hooked it up to the same motor, so it was the same speed. You know, you didn't have someone trying to crank along at the right mm -hmm. speed. Exactly. That's, that's super clever. So. Yeah, and the recording device, instead of it being a wax cylinder, it's on a vinyl disc now. So uh, you have yeah. better quality too. And the sound system they perfected so that they can play it in a big theater. So um, Well, and if, if you want to learn more about vinyls, again, go back and listen to our episode with Joe Kassler and that can help fill you in on, on that side of things. So Yeah, exactly. Now, uh, during this time in the 20s and the 30s, they would actually show very short films before the main feature. And they would call these soundies. And it would just be for the sole purpose of promoting... Uh, a film company or promoting like a musician or an artist. And one of the most famous uh, sound deems, uh was something called the St. Louis Blues, where it featured the singer Betsy Smith, who was considered the mother of the blues back in the time. Okay, okay. Well, and, and what that instantly reminds me of is, uh, you know, like you have openers at concerts and things, you know, and then you yeah. have trailers before movies and you know what I mean? So yeah, it's, you can kind of see how that evolved. Yeah, exactly. Now I would consider this time the very first instance in which the seeds of the music video to be planted because it's a relatively short film and you had um, some actors in there sing. You know, yeah, just yeah, like you so would a music video. Music and film, mm -hmm. like they're starting to grow together a little bit. Yeah, but they were still considered more of movies than you would consider them music videos. Because right. they were more of promoting the film company than they were promoting the artist that was featured. The artist was kind of more of a guest. Yeah. Guest singer, I guess you can say. Yeah. It's just a guest singer so that they could promote their movies and so that they mm. would get more people interested and create revenue and all that stuff so that they can make other projects and continue on with their business and company. Exactly. So here's uh, the video of Betsy Smith restored to the best of its ability. So yeah, you saw in that video, it was about 15 minutes long, but it essentially was really like a mini film. It was 15 minutes long. It had like essentially a plot line for the first half. And then the second half, it was like one big musical with Betsy Smith as the guest artist. And you can kind of see how music videos in the future were a little bit inspired by that kind of style with musicals, if that makes sense, where one person sings and then a group of people joins in and then they do off their dance moves. Jazz hands. Yeah, <laughs> jazz hands to entertain the folks watching. So it's, it was really kind of the first seeds of the music video was right there. Well, and yeah, I, I think you can definitely see that. Like in this case, I feel like they kind of told the story before the music came along. Whereas I think music videos today try to tell the story while the music is going. Um, Although every now and then you do get a music video that has a small story, not quite that long, but they do sometimes have stories before the music video starts. Right, right. Small scenes before, after, in the middle even. Yeah, if, if you watch the video or if you didn't, I guess we can explain it a little bit as a person who watched it for the first time the first couple minutes i was a little confused because it seemed a little you know just everyday life back then and i've as someone who lives in the now it wasn't as entertaining to me but then throughout the video you know you find out that this woman's lover is seeing another girl and he's just kind of a scallywag and you know she ends up kind of singing her heart out about it, it gets very raw and emotional and you get to hear her sadness coming through and yeah 
Yeah, yeah she's definitely cool. got quite the pipes too. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean, I bet you if you had the, like the modern uh, music recording of this day, could you imagine? I know, yeah, capturing that. <laughs> yeah, it would be amazing. Her voice was so good, and it, you know, at the very end, well, I, I guess in the middle, something else I noticed was how uh, her her lover pushes her down onto the floor. It was a very raw moment in yep. in that video, and I, I don't know if you would see. I, I mean, I guess you do see stuff like that in in videos today, but. Yeah. took me off guard for a video that's so old. Well, especially how when the things that they would show, you know, in film and, and eventually in theaters when that became more commonplace, it was very limited on what they would show. I mean, like, yeah. if you fast forward to the 60s with Elvis, you know, he got banned just because he was shaking his hips. <laughs> <laughs> so to show, you know, that little bit of, like, almost like domestic violence, you no know, shoving her down, that, that's a little bit shocking that yeah. that made its way through, too. Yeah, you'll be surprised uh, what uh, 20s videos uh, actually showed back then. It'll catch you off guard. Yeah, yeah. That's what I found. But yeah, you, you can see how it kind of really started like the music video idea. Right. Even though it wasn't technically a music video. They're, they're just slowly growing closer and closer together, it seems like. Yeah. Now, kind of an interesting note. We're getting into the 30s and guess what happens? Great Depression. Turns out that... That's depressing. Yeah. Sorry, I, I had to get that <laughs> <laughs> It turns out that had Warner Brothers not gambled with the idea of producing a full feature-length sound film, it would have delayed syncing up video with audio for about two decades, experts would say. Wow. Oh, wow. So they taking that chance was big. <laughs> yeah, so could you imagine what would happen if the process of syncing up music and video didn't happen until, like, what, the 40s? Yeah. Like <laughs> well, what we would probably have. would be, you know, 20 years behind today, probably. It'd be, it'd be like going back to the 90s. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, so that was a really good gamble on their part. So pretty much from the 30s to the 50s, it was kind of pretty much the same. Not really much has changed. Of course, film has gone better and sound recording has gone better. So the only way that you could see a movie was if you went to a theater. That was it. From the 30s, well, from the 20s to the 30s and 40s, the only way you could see a movie was if you went to the theater. And so they would have great variety of entertainment. They had like sing-along videos where the audience can follow the bouncy ball. That's where that came from. They had videos like what we saw, like little mini videos. And then of course they had full wide, full length production videos that had high quality film. One of them, uh, one of the most astounding ones being The Wizard of Oz with its perfection of Technicolor and using color film. So also during this time, musicals were becoming a thing. And musicals, essentially, if you haven't, <laughs> if you don't want to know what a music video is, well, I'm sorry. Well, I don't know why you're listening to this uh, <laughs> episode then, but... <laughs> Basically, within the movie, there are segments where people sing and they dance. Turns out, in future music videos, we'll talk about this, but they were inspired by those musicals, actually. Mm -hmm. With the choreography, with the dancing, it was really entertaining, if you do it right. So... And then we come to this very interesting machine not many people know about. I didn't even know about it until I found out. But it was something called a sounding machine. Imagine like a jukebox at like a bar. 
but instead of playing music, it played music videos. They didn't call it music videos, but it was essentially short clips of people singing. And and that's where the mission got its name. They called those little videos, you know, called soundies. Yeah, exactly. They were called soundies back then, like uh, Nick was saying. This is so cool. I've, I've never even heard of this up until right now. So. Well, I didn't know about them until yesterday when I looked up, you know, all the different links. So. Yeah. <laughs> it turns out that sounding machines were not popular in the U.S. That's why we don't know about it. But they were very popular in places like Europe. Okay. And so Europe had a lot of sounding machines. And so I'm going to show this uh, little video of this guy who collects things. And he just so happens to collect a sounding machine. No, it's not Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> it was a sounding machine. Yeah, and, and it reminds me so much of a jukebox. And I can just picture people, you know, sitting in a pub or something and, you know, deciding they wanted to listen to some music and watch a quick video. And, you know, maybe a few people gathered around it. And, you know, it's it's, it's got a little back area where the film is being rolled. Like, it's so simple and yet so, so yeah. cool. Yeah, very brilliant. Yeah, I mean, this was before television was made. And so this was kind of the, really the first instance in which you can watch a video without having to go to the movie theater and have music with it yeah that too and so yeah it was a very unique machine and not many people know about it strangely enough and so that was something very cool so now we're getting into the 40s and if you know something about the 40s after world war ii the u.s acquired the audio tape from the germans exactly and with audio tape it had a better quality than uh let's see the uh, it was easier to record uh, audio tracks on tape than it was with vinyl and, and multiple tracks i i think that was like yeah. the main selling point of that and it yeah. was also very high quality still not as high as vinyl anyway if, if you want to learn more about that uh, again go back to joe castler's episode these are almost going to be kind of like brother episodes i feel like in a way yeah brother <laughs> <laughs> all right now, here's something also interesting that came. Television. Mm. Yeah. What, what's television? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> television. You can watch videos at home whenever you want. You can watch stuff live without having to go there. Mmm. High quality black and white, high definition. <laughs> Quote unquote high definition. Not not 4K yet. <laughs> yeah. And just to give what kind of a new concept that this is, like if you've seen the the movie Back to the Future, you know, when Marty finally goes back and you know, his grandpa hits him with the car instead of hitting his dad and you know, they bring him inside the house. You know, his grandpa is trying to set up the TV so that they can watch it while they eat. You know, like us today, we're like, oh yeah, let's turn on, you know, a movie, Netflix, whatever, while we eat. But doing that, that was like, whoa, what are you doing there? That's some pretty revolutionary <laughs> stuff that you're doing there that oh, yeah. they're showing you in that scene in Back to the Future. Because, I mean, having a TV in your home back then, you were pretty well off if you were able to have a TV yeah nick thank you so much for bringing back to the future into this yes. episode i don't think there's a single episode where we haven't talked about it yet so. well i actually watched it last night so. where do you think we learn all this history back to the future but yeah um interestingly enough well i guess it's no surprise uh when televisions went up uh people going to the movie theaters went down it actually went down 50 percent Oh, that's a pretty hard... Uh, yeah. That's a pretty hard drop. Right. Yeah. And so what do movie companies want to do, you know, to bring people back to the movie theaters? Well, they've uh, decided to create new technology for the film, make it a lot better, have 240-degree uh, screen... What do you call it? Like a screen... 
uh, oh, panorama like sort of view? Yeah, yeah, viewing angle. Yeah, viewing angle, where it was kind of like a panorama. Uh, they had that. They've uh, changed the aspect ratio, which is basically the size of the uh, box. It used to be just a square, but then it transformed to widescreen for mm. the theater's sake. Okay. And also, you got surround sounds. Oh. That with the audio tapes, that's all possible now. Right, right. And so it's you all get coming together. And so now people can feel the movie as you're watching it. Actually, the very first movie that had surround sound was Disney's Fantasia. Oh, oh really? and I love that one. Yeah. That one is so good. If you can imagine that part where the demon comes up and <laughs> you know, you can imagine like the bass, you know, hitting the people and this demonic demon. Or the one with the dinosaurs, you know, you know yeah. they're all like dying and yeah exactly heat and then the the earthquakes and all that stuff yeah so because of television movie theater film companies up their game with the quality of their videos now they wanted to be more entertaining than what you can see on television so another thing that came along with television was videotape uh. <laughs> videotape it's all coming together now Ooh. What, like scotch tape? No, videotape. <laughs> it's, it's just so cool, like, how you're explaining this, how it all meshes together slowly. I, I really like it. Like, this like is... It connects the dots. Yeah, yeah. I'm learning so much tonight. Now, with videotape, actually, it wasn't just by accident. It was on purpose. Um, the reason why they created videotape was so that they can figure out a problem that they were having with live TV. You see, back in the day with live TV, essentially you had a camera, it'll make an electronic image, and it'll broadcast that to your TVs all over the country. However, the only way you can watch it was if you watched it right when the camera was rolling. So how are you gonna? How are people in Hawaii gonna see stuff in New York? You know, right? How are right. people in Paris gonna watch American television? <laughs> you know, it poses a problem. It poses a problem. So the first step that they tried to do was, well, why don't we uh, have a TV monitor? You know, while the while the TV camera is rolling. So the solution that they tried to come up first was by um, having a film camera record a TV monitor while the broadcast was going on. What they found out was if you record all of the TV programs that were going on, you would use more film than Hollywood has ever used in the past few decades. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, oh, that's an expensive, like it would take, uh, I've read reports where it took $1.4 million just for a half hour TV show. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah, that is not something that's feasible. And so they're like, well, okay. Especially since a million dollars was worth a lot more back then too. <laughs> oh yeah. So they're like, uh, so they were like, yeah, we need to find a different um, solution to this. What they thought was, wait, we have this audio tape that can record audio sounds. Why can't we do the same with visual images? Hmm. And they put them together. So it definitely took trial and error. <laughs> Let's just say that it's not as easy recording video on tape as it is with sound. Because with sound, it, it literally, it was like, what, a quarter inch of audio tape back then? For videotape, it was actually two inches wide. Much bigger. Okay. So they had to figure out how to lengthen the audio tape to fit the videotape. Exactly. So the mechanics of videotape is actually not that complicated to understand. Essentially, 
Here's this videotape going along, and I'm showing them a picture so you can view it down below. Essentially, as the videotape goes along, the electronic, uh, the electronic uh, signals from the TV camera will go into this drum head right here. And this head would spin at 40,000 rotations per minute. So as fast as a jet engine. That is pretty fast. And so as the tape went by, it would create these vertical magnetic strips. Strips. Coding, I guess you can say. It's not really coding, but it's kind of like a pattern. Yeah, it's like a magnetic vertical pattern. Maybe uh, similar to like a barcode nowadays. In a something, way. something like that. Yeah. But essentially, when the machine read back the magnetic track, it would broadcast the image back onto a monitor. And that's how you would record TV using tape. Ah. And I'll go along with that. The benefit of tape instead of film is that you can record audio at the same time as you would the image. So instead of filming the image with just the film and then also as a separate machine f uh, record the audio, now you can record the audio and the images at the same time using the same strip of tape. Thank goodness for magnetic tape. Yeah. That's all I have to say. <laughs> so now synchronizing the images with the sound is no, you know, it's a piece of cake now. You just have to record it at the same time and make sure the mechanics work. And as technology went on into the 90s and to the 80s, the videotape thankfully got smaller. And that's where we get the home video tape, you know, yeah, the, the VHS camcorder yeah, and yeah, stuff that like that stuff. was from this simple technology. And so this is kind of a diagram of the later technologies, see how thinner and they do diagonal instead of vertical to make more room, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So And, and again, we'll post this, sorry, this photo on Instagram and Facebook. Well, it probably, we'll figure out where to post it and we'll try and leave a link to it as well. So now here's the downfall of uh, videotape though. Compared to, <laughs> compared to film, it was crap. <laughs> I mean, if you look at a videotape, even in the 80s, and you compare that to a film in, like, say, the 50s, the 50s had better quality than the 80s videotape. Yeah, so that right. ought to tell you something. Right, right. <laughs> but it was a very effective means and a very cheap <laughs> method as well for recording live TV. Now you can broadcast the recorded uh, version all over the world, and you don't have to watch it live. There you go. So there you go. You can watch it on your own time. <laughs> yeah. Now, around this time, uh, with the music and television, the very first person that, that keyed the term music video was actually J.P., the big popper Richardson. The big popper. He was like a folk country singer, I think. I'm uh, sorry, I don't know this guy. Yeah, I've, I've actually never even heard of him. Yeah, I'm he was, to learn more. Yeah, he was like one of the guys uh, that died in that airplane crash with uh, Buddy oh, Holly. Oh, really? Oh. Okay. And, you know, the day the music died. You can research him. I actually didn't do too much research on him, unfortunately. But he was the one that made the term uh, music video. So as television grew and as cinema productions were becoming better, now you can get very interesting uh, video productions now. Mm. You're getting more stunning images. You're getting people getting engaged with the characters on screen. It's more alive. The colors are real. Mmm. What are you going to do now? Well, you're going to show your celebrities. That's what you're going to do. Right. So guess who came along? Elvis, the king of rock and roll. <laughs> and funny enough, Elvis, um, he didn't actually like making the movies that he was in, strangely enough. 
Huh. You, you would think you would be all for that. He seems like a very, well, he, he seemed like a very, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say egotistical, but a, a pretty outgoing guy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he enjoyed them enough, but he, he wasn't like, I'm going to be an actor. You know, it's kind of more like the film companies want him to be in their movies, you know, to promote their uh, cinema productions, if right, that makes sense. Right. Well, yeah, because he was just such a huge star that reached across multiple demographic audiences. Yeah. But some good news as far as music, music videos go, uh, with uh, Elvis's with Elvis's movies, it brought more ideas for music videos in the future, if that makes sense. So an example of that is uh, Jailhouse Rock right here, which is one of uh, the famous Elvis scenes. So very entertaining, I would say. Yeah, it's almost like watching, you know, like a like a Broadway production, but on a screen. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they wanted to really, they had Elvis there to really make the movies entertaining, to have his songs on there. It uh, promoted Elvis to a certain extent, but it was mostly for the film companies. <laughs> yeah. If that makes sense. Elvis had already made a name for himself. Yeah. So they're just benefiting from him. <laughs> exactly. And uh, let's see. Kind of a fun fact, though. While they were filming for that, uh, Elvis actually broke a tooth, and the tooth went down his windpipe. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> and uh, they had to go to the emergency room for I that. I didn't know that. I've, I've seen that music video before. And hey, also, if you haven't, definitely go check it out. The link is below. So. And uh, But the funny thing is, technically, it's one segment of a movie. But if you could crop it out, you could consider it a music video, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, mm -hmm. I mean, Elvis is a pretty well-known guy. And just to have that little segment of him doing all that dancing with a bunch of guys with one of his songs, you would consider that a music video. It's, well, of course, it's essentially the same thing. Featuring film, though. Yeah, mm -hmm. but it's the thing is, it's part of a full uh, yeah, movie, like Nix was saying. So yeah. it technically wasn't a music video, but it definitely had the elements of a music video. Now, I wouldn't consider this the modern music video, though. Because, like I mentioned before, it was more of the film companies trying to get more people to go to their theaters and making more money. It wasn't a movie about Elvis. It wasn't a video about Elvis because Elvis played as a different character, you know, such and such character by Elvis. If that makes sense. Yeah, but then that kind of rolls into, you know, what's come next in the 60s with the Beatles with A Hard Day's Night. And we're getting to that. <laughs> so now we roll along to the 60s. Guess who comes along? The Beatles. The Beatles. That's right. The Beatles, I feel like... Um, Bef everything before then, I would consider a pre-music video. Just from the first video to when Elvis did his movies, I consider that the pre-music video era. When the Beatles came along, I consider this era the birth of the music video. Because um, if you don't know the Beatles, well, they're one of them. <laughs> <laughs> they're the, considered the greatest rock band of all time. Yeah, which uh, is... I've never heard of them. <laughs> uh... <laughs> And um, so, yeah, the Beatles were um, definitely well famous before their movies. They actually made three movies, I feel. Is that right? I think that's right. Maybe four. I can't remember. Yeah, it's like three or four. But essentially, the Beatles made a lot of movies and a lot of mini movie clips for promoting their albums and such. But we'll get to that. Essentially, when the Beatles came along, their music really, I don't know, what, what do you call it? Took the world by storm. Yeah, and that's it. <laughs> Beatlemania, screaming girls, <laughs> stuff like that. 
but it was really uh, when they did their first movie, A Hard Day's Night, that the audience can really connect with the Beatles now. They see them on screen. It's, you know, they can see their faces. You, you can see their... Well, and the thing is, when you watch A Hard Day's Night, you know, it's introducing the Beatles and all that stuff. And one yeah. thing that I just have to interject because I'm a big yeah. Beatles fan. One thing that I love about when they filmed A Hard Day's Night, you know, the, it shows the band. They're going around, running around through like a train station in London and they have all these screaming fans. And most of them are young girls just like screaming and crying because it's the Beatles. All those girls are not really faking or acting. Those are legitimate mm. actual reactions that the that these lady fans had to the Beatles. It was all <laughs> real. It was all authentic. That was not acting. <laughs> yeah, take that in for a minute. So, but yeah, that it brings about a really good point about why I would consider the Beatles movies really the start of the music video because it was a movie about them. Everything that you see in the movie is an exaggerated version of their life. It was meant to promote the Beatles. It was meant to promote their songs. It was meant to have the audience connect with the Beatles on a very intimate level, yeah. intimate level, yeah, close personal. Whereas with the Elvis movies, it was more like, you know, film companies just wanted Elvis just because he's Elvis. Right. But Beatles is all about them. And that's really the key with music videos. I feel like it has to be about the music artist. Can't just be about the film company or anybody else, but just them. And that's what I feel like kind of separates what you would consider a music video versus video that's just a short movie right, or a musical, right, right. if that makes sense. Yeah, and that, that's, yeah, musical. I, I feel like that's kind of the difference between the two, right? I mean, yeah. a musical is telling its own story for film pur purposes or, you know, for the video production companies, as you're saying. Yeah, but with the Beatles, uh, the film companies wanted to promote them if that makes sense. They wanted to help the Beatles to become bigger than where they were uh, back then, if that makes sense. Well, I feel like for the Beatles, it was important to get, like, the, the Beatles wanted to be, the members of the band wanted it to be, wanted to be more close and personal with their fans. Like, that was something that they strived for, I feel like. Yeah, so we'll go ahead and watch this. Definitely watch it. It gives you a really nice, you'll see. Kind of an interesting thing about uh, these Beatles movies. They actually created the songs before they knew what the movies were about. <laughs> so yeah. that kind of gives you an idea of how talented the Beatles were. They had to come up with music that could fit into these movies before knowing what the movie was about. So. <laughs> well, this just goes to show just how, what incredible musicians that the Beatles really were. I mean, to really understand the Beatles and how great they were, you need to understand, you know, just how crazy they took the first Great Britain by storm and then the world yeah. after that. And like, and then like you follow, I mean, that's a whole other episode that I could talk about, right <laughs> which sure I will, will not, but well, well, not, right point, yes. not right now, not right now, but you know, the Beatles, you know, they were just the first to do so many things when it comes with writing music. Yeah. Especially, you know, when it comes to rock and roll. And funny enough, they were, in my opinion, uh, they were the ones that really revolutionized what music videos were about which yeah. is to be a video about the artist, like I was mentioning before. And also, if you don't know, uh, they became popular in the U.S. after being on TV at the Ed Sullivan Show. So mm -hmm. there's another thing about TV there, why it was important for musical artists. So Yeah, it really is cool to see how this all correlates. Yeah, it's like, it comes together. Yeah. 
come together. And then, of course, uh, <laughs> with their second movie, Help, it was in color film, and they've actually added um, very distinct qualities about it that you see in modern music videos today. You see, like, cut twos of the band mates doing something random and then you would see them playing their instruments and then you would see them doing something again and then back to their uh back to them playing their instruments so you would see that a lot in modern music videos where it goes back and forth back and forth and that really started with the beatles i feel like also great quality lenses made the um image you know high quality of course and uh, yeah beatles man beatles I know it's it's crazy how much they started, and, and it's crazy how like nowadays they all of a sudden maybe aren't as important as they used to be. I mean, I think well, that's, that's because people don't take the time to appreciate, right? Them. Because it doesn't matter if you like them or not. Without the Beatles, you would not have the music that you enjoy today. Exactly, and everything about the music you enjoy today, you wouldn't have it. So it would be in it would be completely different, and, and maybe even video in some yeah. ways. In music videos too, yeah. would would be. Yeah, different. I mean, like, it was more than just writing music. It's everything that they do because they just experimented with everything. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. They definitely experimented a lot, and I feel the same way with uh, their film productions. Like, if you see their short promotional clips, like later into the 60s, in order to not go to two places at once, they would create these short promotional clips in which uh, we still can view them today on YouTube, but things like Strawberry Fields Forever and Penny Lane were just a result of them trying to promote their album or their concerts without them actually appearing out of town. Oh, that's the whole concept of you know, Sgt. Pepper's, which was the first ever concept album. Yeah. They wrote that album to go on tour for them. Yeah. So. <laughs> and in doing that, they created concept albums. Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy. Uh, I kind of want to take a break here. And I want you guys, um, around this time, I want you to appreciate what it took to actually create a movie using film. It's actually a very tedious process. And this video that I'm going to show you, it's, it explains a lot. Yeah, and, and hopefully you're following along as we're watching these videos and, and you get the chance to, you know, click some of these links and, and go watch these because they're so informative and, and just really cool. So there you go. Well, and that just goes to show why they need to be, the, the tape needs to be wound correctly as well. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. If you don't know, if you haven't seen it yet, essentially the guy literally has two separate things, the film and the tape, and he has to synchronize it correctly. And that's why you see in movies that clipboard in which you you see them go, take two, take one, clip. Yeah, the little yeah. black... Uh, clapper. Almost, yeah, exactly. The black and white clapper. That's why you see that, is so that the editor can synchronize the clap with the image of the clapper going down. And um, yeah, it was just a very tedious project and a very expensive project and it required very skilled people to do editing back then. And so you got to take a moment to appreciate the old films back in the old days. Well, and the people who edited them, I mean, as Nick was saying when we were watching it, he the, the gentleman does it so quick and he's so good at it. You know, he just knows exactly yeah, where to fast, cut. He's fast, he's precise. You know, I was just like, wow, I think I would have to do that slow to just to get it right or I would mess up all the time. It would, you can't do with that stuff because one take or you got to do it all over again. <laughs> yeah, literally. The only, the film is the only print that you have of the entire scene, so... And that's why I'm just like, whoa, he's fast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so moving on. Like I mentioned before, the Beatles made several promotional clips uh, for the sake of 
them not having to travel around everywhere. And we get these very funky music videos like Strawberry Fields Forever. Yeah. <laughs> if you ever seen that, you gotta go see it. Yeah, they use reverse, they use inverse imaging, and it's very bizarre. But like we said, they were very experimental as a band, so. Also, kind of an interesting note, Bob Dylan is considered the first artist to use uh, lyric music videos. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, it's not like a lyric music video think of today, where you see lyrics on the screen. It was literally just Bob Dylan in a barn with, like, uh, cardboard sheets with bits and pieces of the lyrics <laughs> of his song, <laughs> and he just does this, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and it moves the, and it moves the clip out of the, out of this. Yeah, it um, moves the paper to the next one, and there are more <laughs> words in the next one, and yeah, it, was, yeah, it was pretty interesting, so. Uh, if, oh, you have the right idea, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if you're interested in the song, uh, it's called Subterranean Homesick Blues, so you can look it up if you want to. But now we come to something, I guess, now we go into 1967. And something interesting happened in 1967. A TV show called The Monkees was formed. Well, the interesting thing about I the monkeys... I have so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Let's well, see. the interesting thing about the monkeys, the monkeys were the first band ever of their kind, where they were not necessarily just a bunch of people, musicians who got together and formed a band and they became big. They were put together, you know, for a TV show who were a band, you know, kind of like the Jonas Brothers, how they had their TV show and then they became big musicians. They were the first ever of that kind of, you know, um, type of band, like how kind of Kiss, you know, had to get us with their costumes. I had a big show, you know, based off of that. You know, the Monkees were the first ever of this type of category. So essentially, they were not a real band. They were essentially a band that was formed by a TV company. I see. Okay. They literally sent out advertisements throughout the U.S. saying, we need four guys. <laughs> they can play really well. Actually, not even that. They just needed four guys that look pretty. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, didn't the monkeys, did they not know how to play their instruments? Only or? two knew how to play instruments. Yeah, it was, it was uh, Mike and Peter. Um, they were the two guitarists slash bassists. But the drummer, uh, Mickey, and the singer, the pretty boy English dude uh, <laughs> named Davey, uh, they didn't know how to play instruments. And so, it didn't matter because they were just filming them pretending mm -hmm, right? exactly <laughs> they were just pretending to be a band and this is uh something very interesting happened it's like the monkeys became very popular you know first season every kid in america knew the monkeys almost as much as the beatles in fact one of the monkey songs actually made it to the top songs of the year above the beatles in 1967 which wow. was quite the feat <laughs> yeah i was gonna say it was the song uh i could be wrong but it was the song that you hear in shrek uh, I'm a believer. That was the song that um, made it higher than the Beatles as far as the song of the year in 1967. Definitely the most famous song by far. Yeah, definitely. It's like people thought that the song came from, uh, what was that band? that played in Shrek. I'm a believer. Uh, Smash Mouth? Yeah, Smash Mouth. People think that it came from Smash Mouth, but I'm like, no, it came from the Monkees. <laughs> so, but yeah, that ought to tell you something. It's like this TV studio was trying to recreate an American version of the Beatles, essentially. Hmm. But the problem with that is people actually appreciate it when the musicians are actual musicians. Right. 
And well, that's where you get Motown and all that stuff later on in the future. So Yeah, why do you think people hate it when you see like a singer going off track with the lip sync? Why do people hate that? I was just going to bring that up. Like, that's what it reminds me of. You know, like I, I think a year or two, it, it may have been some time ago now, but I think Mariah Carey recently got caught lip syncing to one of her yeah. her songs live and yeah. didn't that's go a, well. That's a big no. You're, you're going to lose a lot of popularity <laughs> if you're caught lip syncing. And that was big back in the 90s, too. And yeah. in the 80s, too, there were so many bands that uh, ended up getting caught lip syncing and, and just died overnight, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as... it really tells you that you can't just make a quote unquote music video of just some band. It has to be authentic. It has to be original. Yeah, it has to be, you know, the people expect, you know, honesty and they expect true talent, uh, even with music videos. And with the monkeys, that actually caught up to them. And, you know, critics were saying, oh, they're just a fake band. And uh, because of that, and for other personal reasons within each band member, they just decide to, you know, just give up, you know, yeah. essentially. <laughs> And call it quits. I mean, I, I can see why they would try to kind of copy the Beatles, though, because the Beatles were so huge. Like, who wouldn't want a, a bite of that, you know? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, if you watch an episode of the Monkees, I mean, they look like they could be the Beatles. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you have the smart, you know, guy the who's a Texan in this case. You have the pretty boy, English dude, you know, who's the yeah, singer. You got the bull cuts, you know, shaggy hair and all that stuff. They're, they're tall and lanky, you know, and... Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean, they're almost like, you know, a mirror image of the Beatles. Yeah, you got the comedic one, the dumb one, the pretty boy one, the smart one. Oh, everything that, that fits that makes a good TV show. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So you got to give credit for the monkeys, um, at least for the songwriters. You know, they did make good songs, but unfortunately, because of the fact that people don't like um People don't like fake bands. You know, it just died away almost overnight. Well, yeah, and some of their their music was written for them, if not all their music. I mean, there were a few exceptions. Uh, uh, Mike, the Texan, wrote a few of the songs. Yeah, that's what I thought, but, you know, a lot of their music was written for them. Yeah, and that was kind of the thing that turned Mike off, was the fact that he couldn't play his own instruments, because he was actually a good uh, guitarist, believe it or not. But for the sake of the TV show, he had to pretend to play the guitar. That would be frustrating. Yeah. yeah. So. I, I'm not even really a musician, and that would be so frustrating. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, he was one of the first to go, of course. But if you want to see an example of an episode, you can check it out. But for these guys, I'm just going to show the end. Yeah, so if you haven't watched the video, essentially, you see the monkeys do essentially what the Beatles did in their movies. It was just like them playing, even though it looked pretty fake, and then them doing random stuff. Very colorful, very Americanized, had the same hairstyle. <laughs> what were you guys' reactions? Just watch a Beatles music video, and that's see a more it. pure, yeah, version. a more authentic <laughs> version, exactly. Yeah. Also, we forgot to mention that they were uh, the TV show was sponsored by Kellogg's. So, isn't uh, Tony the Tiger uh, uh, with uh, Frosted Flakes? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I, I'm never gonna look at Tony the Tiger the same way. I don't think Tony the again. Tiger was even invented back then. <laughs> well, still, but just knowing that the same company that made Tony the Tiger just yeah. <laughs> blatantly copied the Beatles. Ryan's going off. No, he's getting a little blood. I'm triggered. <laughs> I, I think spit just flew out of my mouth. I'm I'm angry. But they're great. <laughs> <laughs> but their songs have stuck around for a long time, and they were featured in Shrek. 
So yeah, I mean, even I even grew up with some of their songs. Like the main you know, theme for their TV show. Yeah. My dad used to have that on his CD, so I'm familiar with that. And growing yeah. up with that, and like, hey, hey, we're the monkeys. Well, and I I love I'm a believer. I mean, I it's so catchy. It's it's yeah, just it really a good is. song. And uh, their most famous song is actually called Daydream Believer. So if you're interested, look up that song. So moving on, uh, before I move on, just remember Mike Nesmith. Remember that name, Mike Nesmith. <laughs> He's going to be very important. <laughs> I, I, I'm reminded of Toy Story. Right now. <laughs> it's Mrs. I was, Nesbitt. I was writing the urge to say, it's Mrs. Nesbitt. <laughs> yeah. Funny enough, yeah, they have the same last name. <laughs> but yeah, he was the tall Texan smart guy. But he's very important. You'll see why. All right, we're moving on to the 70s, which I consider the dark ages. <laughs> the <Wow>. dark ages. <laughs> Essentially, the 60s were like, yeah, we're making promotional clips, and then the 70s were like, okay, we're kind of simmering down. It's like, I don't know, I guess maybe it was because of the monkeys, I don't know, but for whatever reason, bands, you know, just weren't making as many promotional, they were called promotional clips back then, but they're essentially music videos but just on television at random. Uh, yeah, basically these clips would be shown before something like a movie would go on or like uh, something like that, if that makes sense. Almost uh, like uh, the trailers before a movie, I don't know, promoting yeah, essentially, things. Yeah, they were essentially just little clips to promote their band, like saying, hey, we exist. <laughs> uh, but interestingly enough, in the 70s, they started using more videotape than they did film because it's easier to broadcast things from videotape than film, if you remember. So uh, one of the biggest promotional clips to come out, though, was Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. They saved the day. Good old Queen. <laughs> yeah. And this was the late 70s, like 1977. So, But I don't know. If you haven't heard or seen Bohemian Rhapsody, I don't know. Oh, my gosh. It is so good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's still overplayed today you know in yeah. you know movies tv shows and you know, yeah. uh, dances and you know people just play it in their car all the time too anyways i mean queen is just so yeah. they were such a big band well and it was such a creative song at the time like it just stretched the boundaries of music you know yeah, even I mean, further i mean like even if you watch that oh what was it called that movie that came out what like last year or two years ago about about queen what um the bohemian rhapsody yeah, yeah that's, that's what, what it's it called, called. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's based off the title of that song and, and when you watch you know they go over you know when they're Making uh, creating the song and then it's like and so like brian may is like recording a part and then freddie mercury is like okay now comes the operatic section and brian may is like yeah the operatic section yeah <laughs> <What>? <laughs> yeah it was a very bizarre song that's for sure and with that comes a very interesting music video that you know they decided to film entirely on videotape believe it or not bohemian rhapsody was the first music video to be entirely filmed on videotape oh, really? oh wow i didn't know that and this was uh, simply just because they wanted to go cheap they didn't want to make it a very expensive thing and so the easiest way to do that is just to record it on videotape which is much cheaper than uh film and so, and also you can record, like we said, the audio on the same videotape as well. So, you know, two birds with one stone, right? <laughs> so just for the sake of nostalgia, let's watch it. Okay. So yeah, very interesting video though. 
because it was entirely shot on tape, you can notice that the quality is not as good as, like, say, the uh, Beatles movies or the film of the past. And um, funny enough, they actually use cameras that you would use for football games, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Well, that's why it's got that different feel of, like, almost a, like a live feeling rather than... Yeah. Well, when you go back to A Hard Day's Night, you know, it looks more like you're watching a film, which it was. Yeah. But <laughs> rather than watching the music video for Bohemian Rhapsody, it's like watching you know, a game. Yeah, that is true. And I think that's what they were going for. They actually chose to do it on stage, you know, just to tell the audience we're great live, you know. Yeah. We're a great live band and you should come see us. And, um... Yeah, so you can see some of those special effects there, like with the Infinity Spectrum and with the... Um, they had a very... If you see in that scene where it goes, he's just the poor boy with the split image, that was actually just the cover that they put on the lens to split the light. Ah. <laughs> and for the Infinity Spectrum, all they did was they uh, shot the camera at a monitor that was playing the same image, so it created that mirror effect. Oh, wow. So it's like a video of a video. In yeah. A way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So literally, those were just basic special effects. But it's also interesting, I should mention um, a technology note here. It's harder to edit special effects on film than it is on videotape. So that will come in pretty handy for future music videos, as we'll talk about. <laughs> now, do you guys remember Mike Nesmith? It's Mrs. Mrs. Nesbitt. <laughs> Guess what? After he quit the monkeys, he tried going into um, music production, but that didn't work. So he decided to go into TV production, believe it or not. Hmm. And guess what? He said to one of the Warner Brother uh, headmen of the time, you know what would be really great was if there was a TV show that played nothing but music videos all day. MTV. MTV, here we here we come. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now, before I go into MTV, I should note that there was something that was kind of like the little brother, I guess you can say, of MTV. It was called Top of the Pops. And it was a European TV show that had a similar idea where they showed music videos, but it wasn't as international or as successful as MTV was. Right, right. In fact, kind of funny story, my father actually went to Holland back in the late 70s, and he saw these European um, music artists on top of the pops, including Bohemian Rhapsody, you know. And then when he got back to the United States in the 80s with MTV, he saw those same European artists being featured on MTV. So it wasn't until MTV that international artists were being recognized. Interestingly enough, it's like my father knew the European artists before America knew them. So, wow. well, you're in Europe, so. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll kind of get to uh, that later. Why it makes more sense. Essentially, Mike Nesmith proposed that idea, and they said, you know, that's a great idea. So, long story short, they decided to create MTV, and the reason was was because, believe it or not, album sales were not doing so great in the '70s. Like new artists were not coming out as much as they were in previous decades. Not only that, but in the '80s, uh, the new generation had a shorter attention span. You know, with video games and better TV and stuff like that. They didn't have time to listen to the radio. You know, it wasn't their thing, <laughs> I guess you could say. 
And so they decided it was a great idea because with music videos, it'll instantly catch their attention, this younger generation, and it'll help these new artists get fame quicker. It'll promote these new artists better, if that makes sense. Well, yeah. and obviously this was a good idea because, I mean, just look at how many competitors MTV had at the time. You've got like VH1, uh, well, there's, there's others. I, that's the only one that I'm super familiar with. And then, of course, the one you spoke about. Uh, the Tops. Yeah. So, yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of competition. I hope I'm not. So, yeah, MTV was created on August 1st, 1981 at 12.01 a.m. <laughs> they recorded the actual day that it came out first. Well. And so they started it with, ladies and gentlemen, rock and roll. Hey, no better way to start. Rock and and the first, uh, And the first music video uh, featured on MTV was Video Killed the Radio Star. I love that song. Yeah, it's an amazing song. The great way to start off this TV show. So... And so, believe it or not, MTV was not very popular at first. Not many people knew about it. And so they were trying to figure out ways how it can become more, you know, more successful, I guess you can say. What they discovered was all of the um, bands that they featured were just white men playing rock and roll. That was it. Well, that's a very small demographic. Yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, there was a little bit of an outrage from the black community saying, whoa. Oh, where are where are our singers? That's hard to say. Where are the black singers, essentially? And um, so they decided, you know, we're going to show more variety with our music. And guess who came along? Michael Jackson. Michael they, Jackson. Exactly. Michael Jackson came into the scene with Billie Jean's Not My Love. And boy, was it successful. <laughs> and you know what else Michael Jackson did for MTV? Thriller. Thriller, that's right. Thriller was the oh revolutionary MTV music video. I would consider it the most revolutionary music video uh, uh, that MTV has ever had. And the reason is, is because before that, uh, all these artists didn't know how to make a music video. <laughs> Believe it or not, there was no written instruction of what a music video should have. And so with some music videos, it just showed a guy just kicking a kick drum, for example, and the song playing in the yeah. background. <laughs> Which, I mean, it, it, it doesn't really tell much of a story, you, you know, nope. like it... It maybe helps with like the live feeling, like you're there in a way, but yeah. uh, oh, definitely yeah. <laughs> needed some work. <laughs> yeah, and then you get the the genius of Michael Jackson, and then add MTV into the mix, where you you have that whole what it's like 10, 15 minutes before he starts singing, yeah. you know, where he's at the movie theaters with this girl, and all of a sudden what they see on the screen starts happening, and Michael Jackson turns into the well role. Oh uh, yeah, everything. Interestingly enough, doesn't it kind of remind you of the old soundies? Yeah, Kinda, yeah, very much so. And, and another thing it reminds me of is uh, is Elvis as well, because I feel like Elvis propelled video forward with his charisma. And then you got Michael Jackson, who was also a very entertaining guy. Lots of people like to, to come to his shows and watch him because of his dancing and everything else. Exactly. You know, it's like the... The perfect storm. Yeah, you can see like little hints of the past videos, you know, like the dancing of Elvis, the style of the soundies coming into Michael Jackson's Thriller. And boy, were people hyped out about Thriller. (laughs) And also wasn't at the time the most expensive music video ever, you know, created as well, right? Probably one of the most viewed music videos of all time, though. Yeah. 
venture to say. Yeah, that's true. And it was kind of an interesting story. Uh, Michael Jackson saw a movie that the director made. His name was John Landy. Sorry if I pronounce it wrong, but John Landy made these comedic horror movies, actually. And uh, Michael Jackson saw one of those movies and he was like, you know, I'm going to call that guy. And so he calls the director, and the director was living in England at the time, so. Wow. <laughs> and so hard to track down. <laughs> I don't know how he tracked them down, <laughs> but that's what he did. And so, uh, but once they came to know each other, they were best buds. And uh, you can definitely see that with Thriller, all the fun and excitement that they had in creating the video. And it really paid off. People really enjoyed Thriller for the song, for the dancing, for the choreography, with the lighting, with the imagery. It was filmed on film strip, but it was converted into tape. And so that's how they broadcasted it, so. Wow, so it was very high quality. High quality considering it was for D TV at the time. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. So I guess we'll just watch a little bit of Thriller. Yeah, and, and hopefully you're following along with the links. These are some pretty influential videos. So yeah, what are you guys' uh, reactions to the Michael Jackson Thriller? The same as it is every time, just... It's, wow, it's incredible. It is. It's such a good video. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, yeah, you can definitely see just the great cin uh, cinematography and the choreography with the dancing. Brought on a lot of the aspects from previous musicals and soundies. So, yeah, people took it. And it was because of Michael Jackson's Thriller music video that other artists decided to up their game with their music videos. They decided, oh, crap, we got to make it more entertaining, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, from then on out, uh, it was kind of a, the competition of which music video is better which one had better imagery which one has better choreography you know which is the best song so there you go and then it started the whole mtv revolution of all these bands trying to create a music video with their songs and it was definitely during the mtv era that kind of the idea that a band had to create a music video with their song became kind of more accepted if that makes sense so but that's not to say that all bands um, accepted MTV, actually. There were a few bands that actually hated the idea of music videos, believe it or not. Well, it makes sense. It was it was relatively new. I, I mean, although it had been going on for a long time before that, it... It didn't have the same popularity as, you know, it does today. Yeah. Well, Although it, I feel like, though, to a degree, music videos are still kind of dying, though. Yeah, I mean, we can definitely talk about that later. Yeah, I'm not saying we delve into it. That's just my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but um, it kind of created uh, artists that fully accepted music videos and used music, music videos to their advantage. You know, Michael Jackson, Madonna, mm -hmm. those artists, uh, they couldn't have gone far without music videos. And then there were the artists that were hesitant, but, you know, later accepted music videos like Bruce Springsteen. Um, I have a list here. Yeah, so Bruce Springsteen, Metallica, uh, Billy Joel, you know, those guys. I love his music videos, yeah. <laughs> and then there were artists that completely hated the idea of music videos, tried a few, but didn't accept it. Some of those being uh, Tom Petty, actually. 
Tom Petty was one of those artists that didn't like music videos to begin with. Um, the singer for Journey actually hated music videos, believe it or not. Oh, I didn't know that. They've got <laughs> some very iconic music videos, too. Yeah, but, you know, the music video for, uh, what's that song? Journey, or uh, Separate Ways? Yeah, Separate Ways. Yeah. For the music video with Separate Ways, you know how it was awkward and stuff like that. And mm. you see the singer kind of reaching out his hand towards the camera and stuff like that. Yeah. That was actually him being angry <laughs> and trying to control it. Interesting. <laughs> and, uh, yeah... Rolling Stone, Rolling Stones were another band that didn't accept music videos too much. Well, I feel like Rolling Stones just kind of <laughs> did whatever wasn't mainstream. I, I don't know. No, <laughs> not that that, 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 that was like opposite of the Beatles. Yeah. No, the. And I'm not bashing on yeah. them, by the way. I love Rolling Stones. I, I just, it's, it's just funny how, uh, how their personality was as a band. Yeah, it was, it was pretty interesting. You also saw in the 80s, uh, more women uh, were being recognized as uh, musical artists, actually. Yeah. And that was simply because they looked appealing on screen. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, mean, I guess you can't argue with that logic. I mean, it's, yeah, but... But, I mean... Not, not right, but not... <laughs> No, I mean, I mean, they, 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 it was good that they were recognized. They did. There were women artists that were fabulous, you know, and, mm -hmm. you know, were definitely off the charts. But you got to admit that, you know, with music videos, especially Madonna, yeah. you know, it's just sad that they weren't appreciated for their vocal talents first, I guess. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah, unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of sad there. It's interesting, though. Critics at the time during the 80s said, well, yeah, it's all great now, but wait until a few decades from now. People will forget these songs just because they were associated with these videos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jumps uh, on that. Yeah, could not have been more wrong. Oh, yeah. Think about all the popular oldie songs that uh, people today listen to. Where where do most of them come from? Music videos. Yeah. The, the MTV era, the 80s. Think about that. So, mm -hmm. kind of goes to show you the power of imagery and sound when mixed right. Alrighty. So, there were a few good special effects that I do want to mention. I'll just mention one. The Everybody knows this song, I hope. The Aha Take On Me. Oh, yes. that was such a revolutionary music video. Oh, yeah. It was the first of its kind. Yeah. I want to mention that because uh, the way that they did the drawing effects was they shot it on film. And then they had artists go and sketch each frame, frame by frame, and draw each person like a sketch, uh, like a sketch, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the, the so, artist drew the scene. Yeah, the yeah. artist literally drew each uh, film scene. Each film slide, film... No, no, no. Or... Literally, the artist drew each film... Frame? Frame. Frame, yes. Okay, that's... It's <laughs> like, what are you looking for? It's like, oh, frame. it's probably easier than you're thinking. Okay, so moving on. We get into the 80s, videotape is becoming better, film, of course, is always getting better. Mm -hmm. The sound is getting better, music videos are getting a lot better, and so it was really MTV's golden age of music videos. And boy, were people, you know, hyped up about music videos. You know, watch it on MTV, you have the option of watching any music video that's on screen, because it's 24-7, you know. All right, now we get into the 90s. Now, in the 90s, not too much has changed. I would say the thing that changed the most in the 90s was the music style. I would agree with that, yeah. Yeah, compared to the 80s, 90s is a whole different beast. Yeah, and 
I mean, the concept of the music videos hasn't changed, hadn't changed in the 90s, but the way that the songs were at the time definitely affected the imagery of the music videos in the 90s, if that makes sense. So it's kind of like the way that the song sounded affected the imagery of the music video. Well, yeah, like 90s was kind of the rise of grunge and grunge was such a raw, you know, because the 80s was just so fine tuned. Yeah. Everything about music. And, and then, you know, as the 90s came around, it became more popular to have a more raw emotional song. Yeah, I guess. And style. Well, of music. I feel like you know during the you know sixties, seventies, and eighties, rock was king. It was the top genre. And then all of a sudden, the nineties come, and then all of a sudden, it's like a paradigm shift happens, and all of a sudden, rock is not on top anymore. Yeah. You no know, hip hop and pop and you know boy bands and things like that. Mm -hmm. you know, new metal alternative. Well, new yeah. metal was more in the two thousand. Well, yeah. that could be debated. I'm sure. Yeah. But. but basically, rock is not on top anymore. You have all these pop radio you no know, artists that are coming in, they're topping the charts, and all of a sudden you have Nirvana, this weird anomaly in the middle of all this yeah. pop, you know, easier listening to, and then, but you got, you know, the grunge that just spoke, you know, to the people of rebellion, I guess you could say, and it took the world by storm. Oh, yeah. And a very good example, like you mentioned, was I would say that the most well-known 90s music video would have to be Nirvana's Smells like Teen Spirit. Oh yeah, well that's because it's the anthem of that generation. Yeah, oh yeah. Very iconic. Very iconic. Uh, yeah, so Nirvana. The imagery, essentially the band was in a high school gym and people are just going crazy. Yeah, and I mean, everybody, it's its so 90s. Everybody's dressed in 90s clothes, yeah. you know, the colors, the, the way... Well, even just Kurt Cobain's shirt, you know, just screams, you know, the iconicness of the way everybody dressed from the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's kind of funny. Um, you know, the last few scenes where you see everybody going crazy with the drum set and Kurt Cobain smashing his guitar? That was not fake at all. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kurt Cobain was known for destroying, like I told you with that. So I told them a story while I was playing that while, while they were first getting big, Dave Grohl needed a new drum set and it was just falling apart. But I don't know if it's a band manager or somebody said, no, we're not going to buy you new drums that you just got to stick with what you got. So Dave Grohl goes to you know, Kurt Cobain and says, hey, man, our next show, I need you just to trash my drum set so it'll get me a new one. And so Dave Grohl just kicks it, you know, hits it with his guitar, throws it off stage. And they're like, OK, fine, we'll get you a new drum set. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have a choice yeah. at that point. No choice. <laughs> But it was kind of funny. Um, basically, on the day of the shooting, Kurt Cobain, as well as all those teenager kids, thought that this would only take like an hour or two. It ended up being an entire day. <laughs> oh, wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> and so, literally, when you see Kurt Cobain screaming at the camera, that's legit Kurt Cobain screaming at the camera because he was really angry. He's done. He was done. <laughs> yeah, he was done. He just didn't want to do it anymore. And uh, at the end, all the kids were restless and they were like, you know, can we just trash the place? And the director was like, fine, go ahead. <laughs> like, at this point, I don't even care. <laughs> and the funny thing is, he only had one last um, role of film. But all those scenes where you see Kurt Cobain smashing his guitar, all the kids carrying off the drum sets, all the throwing people everywhere, that was on the last roll of film. Yeah, and that, that makes up a big chunk of the video. And uh, that's, yeah, it was uh, authentic and it felt real because it was real. So, yeah. 
and uh, kind of to go along with it, it's like um, you can definitely the song was more grungy, more hard, and you can see that with the imagery. It was so yellow, smoky. The light was blinding Kurt Cobain's face, making it mysterious. Well, and it's it, it intentionally it was made to look raw intentionally. Yeah, and, well, that's and why grunge is it's very raw. Mm. Yeah, so you can see how songs are starting to influence the way the music videos looked. So that's a, a very good example of that. Now I'll briefly get into technology stuff again. <laughs> all right, all right. So we talked about the film, how it's just a bunch of pictures uh, being taken. And then we talked about the videotape, which is just a magnetic uh, record of the image. Now we're getting into digital. Digital really started becoming a thing in the 80s and uh, into the 90s. It was very experimental during that time, but that's when it really started, was the 80s and the 90s. The technology of it, out of all of the media technology, this one is the most complicated to explain. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll give a very oversimplified simplified version of it. So in all digital cameras, there's something called a digital sensor. This digital sensor has something called silicon. You lost which, me. <laughs> which is an element. It's a semiconductor, which means it likes electricity, but not a whole lot. And if you mix in other elements in there, it becomes either more positive or more negative. All right, so let me show you a picture here. So we have a more negative silicon up here and a more positive silicon down here. They're sandwiched together. So the one that says NSI and then the P slash NSI. Yeah. So this is more negative and this is more positive. Turns out if you put those together, all the electrons on the more negative side are saying, oh, there's room over here. Let's go down here. All right. So they all go down to the more positive silicon. But turns out that they get trapped there. Now, if you put in an electric current into this uh, sandwich, stuff this full of electrons, it gets too full. It can't, you know, take any more electrons. There's gotta be a way for those electrons to escape. And the way it escapes is light. So when light hits the sandwich, those electrons get free and they rise to the surface. Now the circuitry captures those electrons, goes, uh, transfers it to a computer inside the camera, reads it as code and says, okay, there, is a more, there are more electrons here, that means it's brighter. There are less electrons here, that means it's less bright. So now you have a black and white image where you know more light means it's white, uh, less light means it's dark. Yeah, so, so basically just the same thing that film does. Kind of. In, in that, you know, it, it captures light. It's just a computer processing it and deciding how it's supposed to look. And I'm very sorry if you got confused. That's the best that I can explain. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you get color? Because just the sandwich silicones just make black and white. Well, it turns out, I forgot to mention that each sandwich is a pixel. And there's thousands and thousands of these sandwiches. Imagine that. Mm, <laughs> You've got my attention. <laughs> okay. So they assign each little pixel, each little sandwich, a filter that can only accept red light, green light, or blue light. The primary colors that create all lights. Or, mm -hmm. yeah. Exactly. If you combine all, those yeah. light colors together, you make white, essentially. Yeah. And so the same circuitry captures the color of the filter. What? goes through the filter. Sometimes it's less red, sometimes it's less green or more green, blue green, you get it. <laughs> and then it transfers it into code and it says, okay, there's less red here, but more red here, more green here, less blue here. 
etc. But once you compile it all together and look at it far away, it looks like <laughs> it looks like a picture essentially. Yeah. You can't really tell that there are pixels with right. different red, blue, and green colors. And so And the more pixels you can shove in there, the more detail. Exactly. So the bigger the sensor size, the more pixels and the more high quality your image is gonna be. That's why DSLR cameras and uh, cinema cinematic cameras are so expensive. It's just because the sensor is yay big for cinematic cameras. He's making a circle with his fingers that's like the size of an apple. <laughs> Whereas... Uh, or a very small sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas with like uh, cameras on your phone, they're like uh, the size of, mm. of your finger... Fingernail. fingernail yeah your pinky fingernail maybe or... yeah essentially so that's a brief oversimplified gist of digital technology if you got more questions google it <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll of course, it, processing power comes into play too right because like you can have all of the the pixels or sandwiches in the world but if you, if it can't process it right that's true it's kind of worthless exactly and that was the struggle in the early 80s and 90s was the computers uh, they couldn't handle it <laughs> It had tons of noise. It didn't look great. It looked crappy. It wasn't as good as videotape, essentially. Mm. But in the 2000s, that's going to change. And so in the 2000s, it becomes more perfected, and the images actually can compete with film now. Mm. And that's where we get into the modern era of music videos. Turns out in 2005, MTV had a good run and says, okay, we're through. We're done. <laughs> but yeah, I guess before that, let me just show you a very, uh, sync shows a very nostalgic 2000s <laughs> type, ba, ba, ba. Of, type of music video. <laughs> and so the NSYNC videos were really the apex of what MTV could provide as music videos. And after that, it really decreased. So yeah, we just watched uh, NSYNC's Bye Bye Bye, made in 2000. <laughs> 20 it, years ago. It reeks of the 2000s, as oh. John was just saying. The uh, reeks of the 2000s, the clothing, the special effects. Uh, but it did show the um, where videotape, where it's progressed, you know, since the 80s. Yeah. So it's definitely higher quality. And about this time, digital was being perfected. So MTV decided to call it quits in 2005. Bye, bye, bye. And so... Aha, I see what you did there. <laughs> but guess what also came in 2005? YouTube. <laughs> oh, that's right, yeah. YouTube was created the same year MTV said bye-bye-bye. <laughs> well, I guess you can take him from here, really. You can use your imagination. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll still talk about it, all right? So essentially, in the 2005, YouTube was created, and now digital has been perfected to the point where it's even better than film. Isn't that mind-blowing? For hundreds, well, not hundreds, for over a hundred years, film has been the leading method of creating high-quality images. Here comes digital. And uh, it basically has taken over film. And I think the part of the reason is because it takes uh, the best of both worlds with film and with videotape. When you think about it, you can take very high-quality images, but also record audio at the same time. And the editing capability, I mean, is something else. 
Well, that's uh, out of this world. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially now, but, you know, it was very impressive back then, too. And you didn't have to cut tape or do any crazy... If, yeah, you just had to click a few buttons on the computer. Exactly. Since digital is all computer-based now with code, it's easier more than ever to film because all you do is just manipulate code. So there you go. And one of the uh, highlights of the late 2000s when digital became uh, a method for recording videos was uh, 30 Seconds to Mars's uh, music video called Yes From Yesterday. Yeah. Not yesterday. That's a great one. I'm excited to watch this one. So we'll watch it. So 30 Seconds to Mars, I have no words. It's just too beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it's a very pretty music video. Like very pretty. Yeah, yeah it's more, more than love the music too. It's more than very pretty. <laughs> what, what more can you say? I don't know. Uh, but it shows just how far digital had gotten in just a few, you know, short years when you think about it. And so, yeah, it was like, I don't know. Would you say like the 2000s was like the real hard rock era? What, what do you guys think? Well, at least for me in the early 2000s, I really felt like rock came out back a little bit with the alternative emo punk scene yeah yeah and it, i mean alternative new metal but th there was a lot of pop in the 2000s oh yeah there's well. a lot of pop too so like yeah. it, it really depends on what you liked um because there was some very there were some huge pop artists yeah. um for better or for worse <laughs> in that time period <laughs> so but yeah, but you can see that the music videos still had that kind of they still had that kind of formula where it was story based and the song just kind of went along with the story, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's not until we get into the 2000 teens that kind of starts to change actually. With the 2000 teens, guess what type of music came out? Skrillex. <laughs> Dubstep or electronic mm. EDM. Yeah, dubstep, uh, EDM, all that kind of music. So, not that it hadn't been around prior to that point, but but that's when it just really became big. It had a resurgence. Yeah, yeah exactly. And it's kind of interesting with um, the music videos, especially these most recent years. It kind of seems like uh, more and more the song is the leading factor for how the music video is going to be. Instead of the video itself entertaining, you know, while listening to music, it's more like the video has to go along with what the music sounds like. Because nowadays, music is more of creating these weird sounds, you know, and this funky beat. And so they try to incorporate that style into the um, music video image, if that makes sense. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you can definitely see that in a lot of music videos from that time period and, and now. I, it's it's become more about the song itself and... Yeah, and giving, you know, creating that message from whatever the, the message that the musicians are trying to convey within that song. Yeah. And so, um, I have two videos here. The first one is Skrillex. Here's kind of like an example of the early 2000 teens, and I'll show a later 2000 teens. But you get the gist of that one. Moving yeah. along with time. And then the second video that I have is in uh, 2015. It's with an artist named Getter. 
<laughs> I haven't heard of him until McKay brought him up to me. He's like <laughs> well, an EDM artist. He's got all kinds of different <laughs> if, if you don't know who McKay is, McKay Wood is the owner of Iron Grave Stuff. He's been on this show well, I'm sure they know McKay. I mean, he's been on the show. We, yeah. we advertise his business all the time. Right. So. <laughs> but I, I mean, if I'm you just throwing it out there. Is. If you don't listen to our advertisements. McKay is famous here. <laughs> Come on, guys. All right. But anyway, this just, I don't know. You just have to see it. Well, if you've seen it, I mean, there are no words. Yeah, it is. It is quite the trip, especially the burger trip. I mean, literally, there were no words except get your head knocking. <laughs> it's so lots of animation and special effects, though. That was interesting for sure, especially all that weird like slime stuff that'd be like on their face and then it's on their hands and then it's on their phones. And, and then... you didn't say burgers. I already said burgers before this, Ryan. Whoa, but you, I just <laughs> thought I expected you to say burgers again. Nick is hungry. He wants burgers. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, literally, throughout the entire song, those were the only words. So what drives the music video? Burgers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, control your hunger for just a second. Well, why would they put in so many burgers in there? <laughs> I don't know. It, it kept you watching. It mm. did. Spongebob. Really mm, Do crabby, it for the views. Krabby Patties. Mm. <laughs> but, yeah, it kind of makes you wonder, though, is it really the music itself that's entertaining, or is it the visuals? Yeah. I would say with that one, it's, for me personally, it's mostly the visuals, but I would also say it's a mixture of the music too as well. Yeah. Because if it was just the images and you took out all that music, I don't think people will love it as much. Yeah. So I would say it's a combination of the two when it comes to that music video. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's like one has a relationship with the other. Whatever the music sounds, the visuals have to really make it look like the sound. Mm -hmm. It's kind of interesting. But that seems to be the way the music videos nowadays are going. It's more the visuals rely on what the music sounds. So, um, and so that brings us to today. So that is a history of music videos. Do you guys have any questions? Anything you want to ask me? Lots of questions. Okay. But um, <laughs> first, just for our listeners, um, let's go back. If, if we could like summarize the timeline, you, you know, like I've, I feel like we did it. You did it pretty well by saying, you know, there was the pre-music video er era. Wait, well, I'll, I'll let you take this away. Yeah. Okay. I would say that for the history of music videos, there are four eras. There is the pre-music video era, which goes from the ancient days all the way up to uh, the 1950s. Um, this was just literally the seeds of music videos being planted into the ground. I would say uh, the next era of music videos is something called the birth of music videos, uh, which it takes place in the 1960s to the 1970s. This was when, of course, the Beatles came in, they revolutionized the purpose of music videos, Promotional clips were a thing, they were shown on TV, and it really was the start of the music videos. And it was in the 80s when MTV came out, all the way up to the 90s, um, that I would uh, call the rise of the music videos. Essentially, music videos are becoming more popular during this era. People expect a music video every time an artist releases a song, and the 
quality of the music videos become better every year and so it was really the rise of the music videos and then I consider uh, the 2000s to our present day to be the modern music video era where MTV died, YouTube gained control and now everybody anywhere in the world can literally post a video on YouTube and everybody can see it whenever they want and so yeah and I mean taking it from there I don't know I, I feel like we've we've covered the meat and the potatoes we've covered you know kind of your your background and your backstory but you know what because you know so much about all of this how did you become interested in it mm -hmm. you know how has it affected you how does it how do you feel it adds to music or music adds to to video okay i'm sorry i'm I, no no, no. Yeah. <laughs> you're good uh, i guess i'll start out with why has this become an interest of mine well i'll give you a little secret if you can do a music video you can pretty much do a movie basically a music video is just a short version of a movie yeah I, I can see that. I mean, it's they usually have kind of a, a chronological story. I mean, the the good music videos, right? <laughs> yeah. Man. Not not to say that once you master music videos, you'll go and make the uh, twelve Academy Award winning Emmys and you know all that you kind won't of stuff. The Russo brothers all over. <laughs> no, no. <Yeah. laughs> but music videos. What I'm trying to say is, if you um, a good way to start doing video production is to really do music videos because it requires you to think deeply about how the music interacts with the visuals and it really challenges you to be creative and to try to fit a story within five minutes or even an abstract story within, within five minutes and that actually is harder than it sounds believe it or not so well, and I think it, it's kind of a two-way street as far as music. I mean, some of one of the biggest artists today uh, in the alternative genre, for example, is the 1975. And I feel like they are very, I, I mean, no one is truly similar to the Beatles, but they're similar to the Beatles in that they're very creative. And when they make their music, they think about how they can broadcast it, whether it's through a music video or a live show or, you know, they, recording it on video is taken into consideration. And you can tell that when you listen to their music with a lot of their songs. So I, I think, you know, one can bleed into the other and, and make the other one stronger yeah. as long as it's done correctly and, and in a creative way. Yeah, I mean, you can have a whole variety of uh, music video styles. You can have it be mostly story oriented, or you can have it mostly uh, music oriented with just visuals being spontaneous, you know. Yeah. There's just a wide variety of how you can do music videos. And um, yeah, it's a really good starting point if you want to do video production. So. Yeah, and, and, and one can complement the other. Yeah. Um, that's why we wanted to talk about this today. And, and you know, John was, well, well, thank you so much for being here and for educating <laughs> us. And, yeah. you know, like this has been really fun and I've learned so much tonight. Yeah. Yeah. And um, before we end this whole thing tonight, you know, we have our tradition of having our guests bring up a pair of lyrics from a song that they really like. And we'll, we'll go ahead and we'll get into that and we'll let John share his lyrics we'd like to share with us but, but first you know maybe tell us like yeah, I've just got so many more questions like how have music videos affected the world in your opinion mm. um, and, and yeah. what is there a particular music video that changed your life mm. I can answer both of those questions 
My personal feeling about music videos is that music would not be where it is today without music videos, to be quite frank. Without the... I mean, when you think about it, it was really the... In the early ages of the 50s and the 60s, it was the imagery and the movie making that really got people's attention about celebrities and about bands. And that's what really drive them forward, like with the Beatles. Without the uh, movies, people wouldn't have really connected with the Beatles as closely, I feel like. I feel like with uh, music videos, like we talked about with MTV, if music videos hadn't been invented, uh, well, if music videos hadn't been broadcasted like MTV did it, there wouldn't have been so many artists that have come forward. There would be so many artists that we would not have known had it been without music videos, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm, yeah. And um, I feel like um, with music videos, you know, going back to the ancient days, like I talked about, people have always associated music with seeing a person performing the music or playing the music or singing it. And I don't think that our minds have really changed that much. I think we've always expected that we have, we would have some sort of visual whenever music was being played. And uh, I think music videos have done quite a unique, have done that in a very unique way instead of having to be there live and just seeing one person or just a few people play music you can see a wide i don't know it's just you can get so creative with storytelling within the images and you can connect that with the song and it makes the song more powerful if you do it right and it can really you can really remember the visuals of a music video the music videos that really click with you. I know that I've remembered uh, music videos, you know, back when I was a kid because it's always stuck in my mind, the visuals and the combination with the music. And um, yeah, if I could add something to that, there's one that sticks out to me very vividly. Like I never really knew all the songs, just this one part, cause there was this song I can't remember this is still the 90s or early 2000s when I had this memory, but I remember my dad bringing up on this computer showing me all of his siblings of this alien singing, I Will Survive. I'm sure everybody has seen that. <laughs> yes, yes. Now, like, I will forever, you know, know the beginning of that song until the alien you know, gets crushed by the disco ball yeah. because of that video. The rest of the song, I could not sing along with at all to save my life. But I know <laughs> from the beginning to that point, the lyrics to that song verbatim, and I could sing it all day, every day, because yeah. just, you know, the visual of the song, I mean, it wasn't that great of, you know, of CGI computer graphics or whatever you want to call it, but because, you know, just the shock of the disco ball falling <laughs> on the alien, it was so comical and so funny. It's forever ingrained in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, and while it is a good song, I don't think that song would ever stuck with me <laughs> had it not been for the alien getting crushed by the disco ball yeah. after saying she will survive. <laughs> I mean, think about popular music videos, even of today, of um, songs that were like 60s, 50s, 70s. Think of Bohemian Rhapsody. What do people first think of when they hear, you know, the title of the song, Bohemian Rhapsody? Well, they would... I think they would first think of the song and then immediately think of that weird music video that they did with it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or think about Nirvana. Is I think it's almost impossible to think to think of Smells Like Teen Spirit without thinking about that music video. If right. you know what I mean. Right. Oh yeah, because it's just so iconic. 
Yeah. Well, and, and you brought up a good point where like it's it's ingrained in our history and our culture and how our brains work. You know, like I don't know if, if you guys know anything about like peg mnemonics and things like that, how your brain kind of connects visuals or, or to, you know, yeah. we, we recognize patterns as humans. Yeah. And I, I feel like, you know, video with music and, and how it is. Um, how we've used it throughout history it, it yeah. just that's why we're still using it today yeah this is kind of getting a little bit deeper but i feel like the reason also another reason why people like music videos is because it satisfies two things um that create thought and emotion it create um i feel like you know when you listen to a song and just those chords really hit you you know think of a song that really hits with you you can't really explain why you feel that way do you it's kind of something deep and emotional. It's kind of like some call it the soul or the heart. I don't know where you would call it. Yeah. But think about music videos, just the image, uh, the image part of the music videos themselves. It's all mental. You can see the person. You can see people sing. You can see them doing random crap. Mm -hmm. You know, you can see a story being laid out. That fulfills the mind part of it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if the mind and the, I don't know, an inexplainable emotion kind of go together, you know, in a very beautiful way, then it creates something even greater than if it, one was just by itself. So, well, and, and, you know, I, I think you've kind of created that tonight a little bit with this, this episode. I mean, you know, you've shared a lot of passion about your talents and we're going to be including visuals for which, people to, yeah, which is a first for, for us and yeah, yeah. it's, it's going to be different and, and hopefully our listeners you know will enjoy this and sorry if any of it's kind of jarring or or out there but yeah. um i think when all of this is said and done this is going to be an episode that we'll all remember yeah i hope so so as far as music video that really stood out to me i distinctly remember when i was around i don't know 13 14 sometime that age it was actually a music video that was homemade, believe it or not. It was a music video that a person created uh, just on his own or her own and uploaded it on YouTube. And it was um, the song of Breaking Benjamin, Dear Agony, with that movie that Will Smith played, like, like the seven seconds, if you remember that. It's like he, kind of the story is he got into a car wreck uh, with his wife, I believe, and it killed her wife and seven passengers of this bus that he crashed into. Oh, that movie. Oh, my. I, I forgot what the... Is that movie really that old? I, I don't remember. It came out in 2009, I believe. Really? I didn't realize that movie was that old. But I, I can't remember the title to <laughs> save my life. It isn't I can't like remember iRobot, is it? No, it's no, not okay. iRobot. Oh, so. I just know there's a car crash in that one. <laughs> but essentially, it was the um, music of Breaking Benjamin's Dear Agony with particular scenes in that movie. And the way that the person captured the emotions, the raw feelings of what Will Smith was feeling right after he crashed the car and the feelings that he felt with his wife made the song really uh, more meaningful, I guess you can say. It's like you can feel the emotion more in the song because of the visuals that you were seeing. It's like you're connecting the story with the story that Br uh, Benjamin Burley was trying to tell, a certain perspective. I don't know if that makes sense, but oh, it makes perfect sense. No, yeah, that's... but it's like 
when uh, I saw that video, it just changed the way that I saw uh, video production. If you remember at the time, I was really into looking and observing Joe doing his videos, you know, and it was kind of a moment for me in which I realized, you know, if I can make a video like that, that would just be amazing. Yeah. And so, and I guess the second most music video that really stood out to me was Linkin Park's In The End. And yeah. it was another amateur video editor, but he um, incorporated Star Wars into it, actually. <laughs> Believe it or not. How, how, how does Star Wars come into play in that? It was, he portrayed it as it was the story of Darth Vader slash Anakin Skywalker. Ah. In The End? Yeah, In The End. I never even watched that music video. Yeah, it's been a long time. It, it wasn't, it's the Linkin Park music video of that song is completely different, but it was an amateur music video. Oh, oh okay. It's okay. A, it'd be an animated yes. music video. Okay, it's an yeah. amateur music video. No, someone who made their own music yeah. video uh, yeah. in relation to the song. Yeah, those were very popular when YouTube first started. Yeah, I remember that. Those, yeah. But it was just the way of the song and seeing Anakin Skywalker slash Darth Vader's life. It's like, Yes, this is a good way to portray the story that the song is trying to tell. Yeah. You know, with this particular story that you're seeing. So, yeah. So, if you haven't, if you uh, can't tell already, I love music videos that have a story behind it. I feel like any good video needs to tell a story, it can't just be random, if that makes sense. Yeah. But that's just me. Because every person that has ever lived on this earth, has had a story and it's really the stories that have connected cultures together and music videos have done that wonderfully and so and then uh i i think like it maybe this will flow well what type of media or music uh do you prefer i know we touched on music a little bit at the first but mm -hmm. you know what what do you prefer and maybe we can lead that into your lyrics and and closing if you want sure unless if you have more questions so remind me again the question. Oh, yeah. So uh, what type of media, or, or and I, I know you've sort of answered this already, you like music videos or videos that tell a story. You know, you talked about the music, you like it the first, but I don't know, maybe just more in depth. You know, what what do you like in in music videos specifically or, or even just, you know, in... Do you, do you prefer film? Do you prefer digital? You know, you could get yeah. into that a little bit even. To me, the right way to do a music video is you have to make the audience realize something that they haven't thought of before. And you can do that in however you want. I prefer the story method. For me right now, I'm actually working on Blix 10's latest music video called Raining Stars. And it's actually uh, the first music video that I've done that I've actually had to direct people. And it's very difficult to have <laughs> people do what you imagine them to do. But frankly, that's kind of the beauty of it. It's like you're trying to tell a story through other people by having them act out. But accidents come along the way and things get filmed um, without you noticing or, you know, without you realizing it. And when you put it all together, the story, there's no words to describe, you know, the perfect story or the perfect music video, in my opinion. Like I said, it's all in the emotions. The songs really get to you in the emotions. And the brain helps out with the mental aspect of the story. And when you combine that together, like I said, there's, there's just no words to describe the epiphanies that you might have or the emotions that you might have. 
frankly, um, it's impossible. It's impossible to make a video without music. I have full respect for those that have the talent to make music. I can't do that. I can do the video aspect and I can try to create that relationship between video and music, but I cannot create music. And it just amazes me of people who can create music because they have a talent to evoke those feelings, you know, and yeah, and you've seen it throughout history. People cannot watch a silent film without music. People cannot watch a music video without the sound entertaining the viewer. Yeah, the, the senses, the, the, I guess you yeah. could say. Yeah. Or the visuals, yeah. And so for me, that's why I love music is because it evokes those feelings that really, you know, you can't describe. And I try my best <laughs> to uh, create a video that hopefully creates that relationship between music and uh, imagery. And, um, so, and, well, and I would definitely say that you do that pretty well, John. I mean, as one of the subjects of many of your music videos, I mean, you wrote, I mean, you created a music video for one of the songs I wrote personally, yeah. and I love it. And I feel like it captures the vision and idea that I had for that song. Cause that song has more than one meaning to me personally. It has many meanings. And I don't think there could be a better video made for that particular song. And yeah. also when it came to John also I when I proposed to my fiance you know he helped me create the video for that you know I, I played a song for her and John filmed all of that and put it all together and you know, he made it a really personal and you know emotional production out of it that you know me and my fiance will, will treasure for the rest of our lives so yeah. John has this amazing way of just taking something you know he's got this idea he's got this vision and then he amplifies it tenfold I mean like John you have a real gift you have a real talent I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, I tried to, you know, I can't just do the visuals by itself. If it's just a silent visual movie, I can't do it. It has to have music because it's only by that relationship that you can make something greater. And um, so with the Raining Stars music video, I'm trying to create a story that has a deep relationship with what the song is trying to say. And trying to create the visuals for that has been a pretty difficult challenge but it's definitely a challenge that I enjoy doing and so well, and as someone who's seen your work and who has talked with you outside of just this podcast about videos and music and film I mean I've definitely seen your passion and I mean you came so prepared for this episode tonight like anyway yeah you, you <clears throat> have the passion and you have the talent so yeah I appreciate it thank you and so I think now would be a good segue to, we'll let John go ahead and share those lyrics that he came prepared with and we'll let you take it away. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to share before we close out? Um, not really. I'll just go ahead and share the lyrics with you. Iengravestuff.com is a local engraving service based in Linden, Utah. If you want an amazing engraving done on one of your personal belongings, get in touch with one of their specialists today. You might meet McKay, who is one of the main brains of the operation. He's also one of our close friends and the drummer of Nick's band, Blix10. Follow their Instagram page to stay in touch with the latest news for Iron Grave Stuff. And be sure to type in TP10 in all caps in the promo code box when you're shopping online at their store. I really enjoy their work. They make engraving look easy when it actually has quite a few factors that come into play. Many things can switch and cause a problem, but the pyros at Iron Grave Stuff have it down to a science. 
They are continually improving their craft, which has been cool to see. If you want in on this action, look up Iron Grave Stuff on Instagram, Facebook, and IronGraveStuff.com. Yep, that's the letter. I. And then engrave. And then stuff. IronGraveStuff.com. Yay! So believe it or not, the um, song that I chose is actually not Breaking Benjamin. It's actually one of the oldies songs that I listened to as a kid growing up, and it's uh, Bruce Springsteen. Um, <laughs> he's uh, Bruce Springsteen, my dad loves him, and he would play his songs on road trips or whenever he's doing work, when he's doing paintings. But only um, one song has ever really stuck out to me, you know. It's like, um, whenever I hear it, I just instantly want to sing along with it. And the song is called Racing in the Street. And so, I'll go ahead and say the lyrics. I got a 69 Chevy with a 396 Fuley heads and a Hurst on the floor. She's waiting tonight in the parking lot outside the 7-Eleven store. Me and my partner Sonny built her straight out of scratch and he rides with me from town to town. We only run for the money, got no strings attached. We shut him up and then we shut him down. Tonight, tonight, the strip's just right. I want to blow them off in my first heat. Summer's here and the time is right for racing in the street. We take all the action we can meet and we cover all the Northeast state. When the strip shuts down, we run them in the street from the fire roads to the interstate. Some guys, they just give up living and start dying little by little, piece by piece. Some guys come home from work and wash up and go racing in the street. Tonight, tonight, the strip's just right. I wanna blow them all out of their seats. Calling out around the world, we're going racing in the street. I met her on the strip three years ago in a Camaro with this dude from LA. I blew that Camaro off my back and drove that little girl away. But now there's wrinkles round my baby's eyes and she cries herself to sleep at night. When I come home, the house is dark. She sighs, baby, did you make it all right? She sits on the porch of her daddy's house, but all her pretty dreams are torn. She stares off alone into the night with the eyes of one who hates for just being born. For all the shut down strangers and hot rod angels rumbling through this promised land, tonight my baby and me, we're gonna ride to the sea and wash these sins off our hands. Tonight, tonight, the highway's bright. Out of our way, mister, you best keep. Cause summer's here and the time is right for racing in the street. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next time.